y'all. It's time for another episode of Rolling Dice and Taking Names. Well, you asked for more designers, and Marty and Tony listened. On today's episode, we'll have Justin Gary, the designer of Ascension, to talk about his new game, Ascension Tactics. Plus, the guys review Cosmic Encounters Duel, Unmatched Cobble and Fog, Back to the Future Dice Through Time, and they will revisit an old favorite, Dice Masters. Now, if only Marty would listen to me. Hello and welcome back to Rolling Dice and Taking Names. This is episode number 202, Back in Time. I'm Tony. And this is Marty. And we are going to go seriously back in time on this episode. That's right. We're going to go back to the days when Marty and I first really started getting into this hobby because we have the opportunity to talk to someone who Marty has impacted our lives and continues to impact my life every freaking day, Justin Gary. That's right. The head of Stoneblade Games, who's designed the, the main thing you probably know him for is Ascension. But unbeknownst to us, he had done all these other games even before that and was involved in games, Tony, that you and I were playing. Um, we have a, a great interview with him. It's an hour long, but it is worth listening to because it's amazing all the stuff this guy has done over the course of his career, going back to... Well, I'm not going to tell you. You're just going to have to listen because I don't want to spoil it. But from when he was 17 years old to now, he's been heavily involved in gaming. And uh, it's just a real interesting story. And uh, we're going to be talking about his brand new Kickstarter, Ascension Tactics. But let me ask you, Marty, how are you feeling? Are you feeling good? I- I'm feeling great, man. Okay. So on the previous episode and on our Podge Pledge channel. Podge Pledge? Podge Pledge. That's right. Mm-hmm. Or That's Pod right. Pledge. Slack channel. Yeah. I mentioned the fact that we were going to come together gaming and I was mm-hmm. going to bring some beef jerky with us and everybody's uh, yes. going to pour it out. Yes. Yep. Yep. Pour it out. And yep. everybody was going to be able to snack on it individually. There was something about that jerky. It was a little not expired. It was past its best use state. Okay. And what was its best, best use date? I can't, I can't remember. This. January, 2020. January 2020. So we're only talking about uh, five months. So let me ask you uh, this, Tony, before we get into the results of the uh, the beef jerky from that night. Are you one of those that like once it's one day past its due date, are you throwing it out? It depends on what the words are. If it says expire by, yes. If it's best used by, no. What says expire by. I don't know that I've ever seen expire. It's usually best used by certain meats, milk. Okay, milk. Okay. Oh, it does say expire. Mm-hmm. Milk does. Mm-hmm. So um, I have people in this house. It's like if it's one day over, it's like nope, get rid of it. I'm like, come on. Even even medicine. I mean, medicine doesn't go bad. It just is maybe less effective over time. And I, I've done this research. It's like you know, here's aspirin that's it's one year old. Okay, so what? Aspirin's not going to go bad. That's right. Do you think that the germs are sitting on the outside of the bread container that when if it, it goes past that date, that they're suddenly going to say, oh, the magical barrier has been released and we can go mold the bread? No, it's not going to do that. So you have some time. Now, if you open up a package of meat, and we didn't see this as a jerky because that's the beauty of jerky. It's preserved forever. But if you open the meat and it's gray, you might want to think twice about that. No, that's fair. That's fair. At least meat, there is a there is a smell or even possibly a look because I went to the fridge the other day, Tony, as I was going to have myself a liver mush sandwich. And people might be wondering, wait a minute, what did you say? Yes, they are. So <laughs> here in the South, we have this thing called 
liver pudding or liver mush, it's it's one and the same thing. Basically, it's like it's like sausage. It's it's pig <laughs> meat with with seasoning. Okay, let's move beyond that. So anyway, it's one thing I like to slice and fry and have a sandwich. So I I got it out of the fridge and I I didn't even have to open it because there was some weird looking white spots all over it. And it's like, nope, we're just going to take this straight to the trash. I don't even need to look at the expiration date. As I don't even think it had expired yet. It had just gone bad. So there are some things that you can just tell just by looking, hopefully even before you smell it. That's right. So I brought the beef jerky. I threw it out on the table and we all tasted it and we were all fine the next few days. So, you know, once again, this was five months later, but you know, they took jerky out on the trail, right? Well, of course, yes. And like you said, that stuff is, is like freeze-dried and preserved in vacuum seal packages now. And and that seal had not been broken when you when mm-hmm. you brought it out to us. I knew that stuff was fresh. I, I do love myself some jerky. So there you go. If you ever get jerky that's five months out of date, we've run a test for you. We know at least at that point it's still good. So then comes the next disappointment. Uh-oh. Yeah, yeah, I know. Here it comes. We've been teasing that I was going to finish Breath of the Wild. Yes. I finished it. So let the, let the silence speaks volumes here. I, I, I was kind of, I don't know if disappointed is the right word, Marty. Okay, so let me ask you this. Uh, you've put in, I believe you looked up how many hours. You said it was over 250 hours, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So was it a disappointment in the end of the story or was it a letdown that it was over? That's two different things. And I've experienced both of those things. I think it was in the big bad boss battle. Uh-huh. What I had to do to defeat him was kind of a disappointment. Okay. okay. I was expecting a little more. It wasn't very challenging. No, it was very challenging because I couldn't oh. do it very well. Oh, okay. And I was hoping all the other boss battles were fun. This one was like timing, and that's all it was to me. It was just timing. Best oh. typical Zelda game, right? With bosses, usually bosses along the way where it's all about timing. Mm-hmm. And I just didn't have the timing. Now I could go back and play the battle again and again and again and relive those moments and see if I can do better. But then I found out that even though I finished it, I can't go and now explore the world and try to cleanse the world. I wanted to do that. Oh, I wanted to go out and and take this. I defeated the big bad and I wanted to go out and then just wipe everything out and and, then have a clean world for us to repopulate. Let's use that word. That's what I wanted. And I can't do that. So I'm up to this journey. I don't know. I guess it's one of those things. I didn't know what I was expecting. And nothing from the game because, oh my gosh, the game is incredible. Hey, I just found these two buttons on my game chair and I didn't know what they did. This is pretty cool. There's these buttons underneath the handles that will make them slide outward and inward. And then I've got two other buttons that make the, the armrest slide forward and backwards. This is pretty cool, man. Yeah, we, we talked about this chair before. It's from E1 Racing. And if people want to, they can go out to e1racing.com and use an affiliate code RDTN and get 20% off their order. Seriously, as we're sitting here, I was mucking with this and found these two buttons that I had never seen before that takes the armrest and move them towards your body or away from your body and two others that move the armrest forward or back. That's mm-hmm. cool. That's good. So this is what it feels like when you're telling me about something and I completely tone out and, I, and then I come back in and you're like, yeah, I didn't listen to a word I said. 
So it was disappointing on Zelda. Huh? <laughs> Sorry, I was just, I was just throwing. I was pressing this button over here, and it's like I don't know what this button does, but but now I do. Hey, look, I'm glad you experienced those. So let me, uh, I will tell you, if you want another Zelda experience, I know you've bought it. Link's Awakening, I think, is a good one. You're talking a game 15 to 20 hours, not near the time commitment. Commitment, and it's one of those that's enjoyable. There are some bosses with timing. If that bothers you, there are a few of those. No, it, it didn't bother Zelda me. Game. It was just how it was. So I, I did kick off D- Diablo three and you said we can pl- uh, we can play together but i want to ask yes. you which yes. which class should i pick uh just whichever one you want to play i think i picked i'm either i'm either the witch was it which uh, uh the witch doctor witch doctor or the demon hunter i can't remember which one i'm playing i have multiple characters i'm playing okay i'll pick the necromancer so that's good to know okay very good then all right or maybe, maybe it was the necro he's fun too Oh, uh, maybe it wasn't. I don't know. I've played them all. So I'm one of those. Just, I just can't remember what my current one is. But uh, yeah, if you want to get together and play the story, it's a good story. Oh, I'd like to. That'd be kind of fun to do since we're still in quarantine now that everything's escalating. Oh, my heavens. But you know, that one night we weren't in quarantine where we tried the jerky, uh, you brought out a game we got to check out, uh, Jungle Cruise. That's right. A Ravensburger game. Presidio, oh, not Presidio Hall. Prospero. Prospero Hall. That's right. Jungle Presidio. Wait a minute. Presidio. Presidio. What is that? It's a movie, isn't it? Is it? Well, there's there's Susudio, which is a song by Phil Collins. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. That's right. Susudio. No. Yes. Jungle Cruise based on the Disney ride. Have you ever been to Disney World or Disneyland? Uh, no. Did, was this lost on you then? Well, no, it's a pretty simple concept. Yeah, but the ride, since you did not have the opportunity to take the Jungle Cruise theme and know what it's about, uh-huh. did that lose anything for you in the game? Were you Because you couldn't envision like, oh, I've been on this ride? Mm-mm. Okay. No, it lost nothing for me. Maybe, here's the thing. Maybe if you've been on it, it added something for you, but it didn't take anything away from you. It didn't me. take anything from you? Okay, so yeah, I guess it is. It would add, because I'm envisioning, you know, take doing that very ride at Disney. Okay, so why don't you tell us about how that ride at Disney in this game worked then? You're trying to get passengers down the Jungle River. <laughs> That's what it is. I mean, this is a very light family game, and you- yes, it is. Yes, it is very. It was. It was one of those that um, we're playing four pretty heavy gamers and jungle. And Tony pulls out Jungle Cruise, and all of a sudden, whoa! This you know the difficulty level dropped way low, and that that was fine. Like you said, uh, this is a Disney themed game. I believe this game is actually gonna would be sold in the park mm-hmm. if it was open uh, to people who come and ride the ride. But it's definitely a family game. For people looking for a fun family game based on a Disney ride. That's it. But I mean, so you said, how do you play it? I mean, it's it's pretty straightforward from the standpoint you are. You are piloting a jungle boat to cruise down the river to deliver your passengers. Along the way, you might pick up some crates. You might lose some passengers in the jungle. Mm -hmm. Um, You're trying to figure out which family is the family that's going to become the... um, Oh God, the, the, the word escapes me. The innkeepers. And that's not the right one. They're going to take care of the jungle. Okay. They okay. have been the chosen ones. And depending on how you collect the, the um, crates that have bananas and other type of foods, you've got a set collection going on there. And you, at the end of the cruise, then 
Whoever has the best sets, you get certain points for the various sets you've collected, certain points for the number of people you're able to bring down the river will determine the, the winner of the game and based on victory points. And you're rolling a dice, moving your jungle boat. Things are going to happen with event cards that you have to resolve and it will cause bad things to happen. And you're just trying to make the best of it as you survive the cruise down the river. It was easy to learn. Uh, quick to pick up. Like I said, young kids will be able to play it. It has a roll and move type feel to it, but that that's fine. That's it's, it's again, the young kids can really grasp that. And they'll probably love the idea of people falling out of the boat, you mm-hmm. know, and, and picking stuff up. And it's kind of, it's a race to the end. I, I mean, I think for us, it's one of those things where I look back with Rebecca and playing some of the games we did, like nothing against trouble. But if I had Jungle Cruise, maybe I could have put that in there and she could have learned about set collection other than just pop-o-matic, move a bunch of spaces, send daddy back home. I wish I had had that game then. Yeah, uh, it's way better than something like Trouble. Yeah, for, for sure. But you know what? It's, uh, it's again, it's a great family game. And if people are looking for something like that, do, do check out Jungle Cruise, especially if you're a Disney family. You know, a lot of people make the pilgrimage every year, probably not this year, uh, out to Disneyland, Disney World. Uh, sort of deal and they just love Disney themed games are kind of thing right now and you might want to check this one out yes and then later in the show Robinsberger also sent us another game back yes. to back to the future back to the future dice through time so here Jungle Cruise very light family game and back to the future oh no nope 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 other realm we've we've moved completely to the other side Oh, yeah. Very difficult co-op game, but uh, we'll be talking about that later. And it was one of those that uh, really surprised me. So you definitely want to listen to that later on in the show. Now, what I don't understand in the show notes, Marty, is that you are looking at something for baseball bats. Stick them. <laughs> so your hands or, or be able to catch very passes. Very nice. Very nice. Very, very good. Uh, yes. I'm looking for some uh, pine tar. Pine yeah, tar. To put, on, mm-hmm. put, put on the baseball bat or stick them for uh, uh, receivers. Mm-hmm. Can actually put those on their gloves. Yeah, so get this, Tony. And I believe you said you had played the original version of this. There was a German card game. I believe it's called like Steichen mm-hmm. or Sticken or, or something like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, so Capstone Games, who people may know is Capstone makes these very heavy Euro games, right? They make uh, L- Lignum and Arkwright and uh, what else, Tony? Uh, Watergate from last year, Pipeline, uh, some very heavy games. So they re-release this game called Stick'em. And you look at it and it was like, this does not seem like a capstone game. So I read the rules and it's like, okay, it's it's a trick-taking game. Tony, you and I like our trick-taking games. And uh, in this game, you have cards numbering from 0 to 14 and there's five different colors, each one numbered 0 through 14. In a six-player game, you're going to deal out basically 15, no, there's, I say six colors, six colors, and you're going to deal out 15 cards to six people. At the beginning of the game, you're going to pick a color that's called your pain color. And here's the whole goal of the game, Tony. Do not collect any tricks that has that color inside the trick. So, for example, if my pain color is yellow, I do not want to win any trick with yellow because it'll be worth negative points at the end. Whatever number's on the card is that many negative points. Can you imagine getting stuck with a negative 14? It'd be bad. The thing is, is the other cards that you would collect in a trick are only worth one point. So you can see it's hard to negate that pain color that you just took. So that makes sense, right, Tony? You're with me so far. Yeah, I've played the game. I'm with you. Okay. 
So somebody is going to be the lead and they're going to play a card. That is the lead card at this point. And this is what's different from every other trick game. Usually there's rules that says the card you next must must play next must be this or that or can't be this. In this game, you could play whatever card you want. It doesn't matter. It's just that once all six cards are played, here's how you determine who wins the trick. Let's say somebody, the first player leads with blue. If every person at the table plays a blue card, whoever played the highest blue wins the trick. If somebody plays a non-blue card, of all the cards that aren't blue, whichever one of those is the highest value wins the trick. So if everybody plays a blue card except for three people and one plays a green three and somebody plays a red four and somebody plays a gray five, five is the highest of the non-blue cards, they take the trick. And that's the whole rule of taking tricks. And so I read the rules. I'm going, I, I, I still don't get what the big deal is. And then I played multiple games of this. I played three player. I played four player. I played six player. And it is a brutal game because as you play cards, you're like, oh, crap. I do not want this trick. This pain color. There's a card in there with my pain color. is going to be worth a lot of negative points. Is there a way that I can make sure to play a low enough of an offsuit color or an off lead color to make sure that I don't take it? And then you may play a card and it's like, oh man, I don't want this either. But luckily, because of what card Marty played, I could play a card beneath that and make stick Marty with that. Then he takes it. And it just elevates to this level of thinking and strategy and stuff that you never would thought would have been in this simple game. Now, one remind me, because when I played this, it's been a while and I, I did... The reason why I purchased this game many, 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 many moons ago was I heard that it was a good follow-up to Old Peshaw, a game that we love. What I don't remember about the game is, is it perfect knowledge? Like you take out certain cards yes. based on the play. It is perfect knowledge. It is perfect knowledge. Okay. I couldn't remember so that. It, and what Tony means by that is every card is dealt out so you know what every card in play the fewer players you'll take out some cards for example with like three players you only use like cards zero through eight and then take out the higher cards so in, you could potentially card count with six players it's almost impossible because you're not going to sit there and look through people's discard i mean you'll keep track of your pain color typically you're going to make sure to know where the 14 of your pain color is and whether it's been played or not that's pretty important so you could probably track your own stuff but tracking everybody else is hard uh, see i'm glad you liked it because you know i had it i thought you know hey we when we get together this is a quick game to play and we never got it to the table my group really did not like it why i don't understand my family loved it because of cuz it was so mean it was so mean and the unknown, not following suit. So when you teach people to play cards and you, and you give them the basic rules that you have to follow suit, then suddenly you get rid of that rule. Some people would have a problem with that because they, they don't, they're like, you mean you had that color, but you didn't play it. And yep. they, they just couldn't, it, it was very difficult for them to shift gears on that. 100% agree. If you play a lot of hearts, a lot of spades, a lot of Opa Shaw, there's these base rules that you expect. Even um, uh, the Stronghold game, Tony, the one that we used to play all Diamonds. the time that we love. Diamonds. Uh, even games like that, it's like there's a rule. It's like, if you have the lead card, you must play it. Mm -hmm. That's a typical rule of most trick-taking games. And that's the twist on this one. Play anything you want. In fact, there's a good chance that playing something that's not the lead could win you the trick. That's right. You can always you can always guarantee never to take the trick if you can play a lower card than the lead color. You can always make sure you'll never take it. 
So that's just part of the strategy too. Yeah. But here's the thing. Sometimes you want to take the trick. You need positive points. There are going to be times it's like, well, my pain color's in there. It's the minus two, but I can get four other cards. I net two points. I'll take the trick. And that's where they would also argue that if you're always the last to play, you always have the advantage. Oh, yes. And that's important to know too. The lead player always shifts one to the left. So everybody gets to be lead eventually mm-hmm. as you play the game. Versus someone who says, took the trick, now has the lead. Right. That's that's not the case here. That that would be bad. Being first or second or third in like a six-player game is a horrible position to be in because you're just left up as to the fates of everybody else that's after you. Being last is sweet. <laughs> Unless, you know, when you only got a couple cards left in your hand, you're kind of stuck at that point. You got to play what you got. But that's why I said it's such a good thinky game. I, Man, Capstone is on fire. They bring this game over from Germany. I thought, why in the world is Capstone doing this? And at the MSRP is like $15. It's one of those throw in your bag, people. I'm telling you, three to six players, easy to teach. It, you'll get 20 to 30 minutes of enjoyment out of it. If you just play one round, you can play multiple rounds. So good. Well, I'm glad you finally got to play it and that it was a game that your family enjoys. You don't have to worry about me borrowing that one, though. Here's the thing. This would be good between you, me, Mark, and Nate. It would be brutal. But but that's what it would make it fun, too. For those of you who are interested in what I did think of it, you can go to Rolling Dice and Taking Names, episode number 74. What? You talked about it back then? Yes. Episode number 74, we're talking about Ashes. And at the eight-minute mark for two minutes, I talk about this game. Get out of here. And then I rant. And we talk about Mysterium, and then I do a rant. (laughs) We actually had timestamps way back then. What what year was that? Oh, uh, let's see. 72 would have been... Let's see. When was that? When did that get posted? Uh, August 25th, 2015. Wow. So we've gone back and, and talked about, let's see, because later on, we're going to be talking about Dice Masters mm-hmm. that we first talked about in 2014. Are we running out of games? <laughs> are, are we just recycling games now is the problem? It very well could be. I So once again, I'm going to have to go back and say exactly what I, I know exactly what was said back then. Because like I said, I sold mine because I knew I'd never get it on there. A game mm. I, I went for and kept trying to get, finally got it, and then it fell flat, lead balloon. And I'm like, oh. Unreal. So anyway, there you go. I'm glad you like it. I do like it. So those were our games that we got to play like in person. But you and I have just started something, Tony, that I've been really excited to do. And I'm glad we're finally doing it. Every couple weeks on Wednesday nights, you and I are getting online and playing some D&D. Very excited to be playing D&D. This, even though I had a chance to play when it first came out a long time ago, and now I'm, I get to do it and I understand a lot more behind it. Very excited. Great group of guys to play with. But online, I just, it, oh, it takes a lot out of it. It really does. It does. And uh, it's because we couldn't, and because the people we're playing with are all over the place, right? We're playing with uh, the DM, the Dungeon Masters, David Waybright from Man vs. Meeple. And uh, he's got his friend uh, Dan playing, but we're also playing with a couple of guys from Blue Peg, Pink Peg, playing with uh, Rob mm-hmm. and with Patrick, mm-hmm. and then you and I. So it's a five-player uh, party, 
and we are said we're going to play every couple of weeks. That's why I hope David like keeps it like at two hours because I agree. About after two hours, you start kind of glazing over because you, you're trying to stay into it. And David does a great job with using uh, maps and everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, showing us maps and where we are and everything does a, f- a fantastic job w- w- with uh, that. Uh, but I, I hope to enjoy the campaign. You know, it's one of those things that, you know, probably after three or four months, we'll probably finish it. And we decide if we want to continue or not. But I, didn't, I never get to play an RPG. And we probably would never get to play face-to-face. So this is about the only way I get to be able to do it. And I understand that. But it's the fact of the limitations that we have with technology in that. So we're sitting there. D&D to me is the interactions of being at the table. And here you have to hold your words because you don't want to cut people off. Mm. And so, you know, and I'm not saying anything about loud Rob or Patrick, but you don't want to talk over one another. And then so Rob's, you know, he's got a great Rob's constantly firing the one liners, keeping us laughing, things like that. But he is he to me, he is. He's making me. (laughs) I don't know about you, but poor David's got to cut him off. And, you know, so but if we were all sitting there at the table, it wouldn't be a problem. I agree. But thanks to David, we're able to sit at the desk and conference call each other on whatever we're using you know, for this. And it's great to see everybody. So unfortunately it loses a little bit where, but then again, we couldn't do this without it because we're not even we're close to one another. Right. Exactly. So it is kind of cool to get with them and just hang with them and do this. And I'm going to, I'm going to enjoy the campaign. I've created a ranger play and what'd you create? I forgot. I'm carried over from our play by forum. I brought Dower Grimax over he is a dwarf paladin i always love to play pallies kind of the support class uh sort of deal now i I will say this i would have probably enjoyed the game a lot more if i had had some special dice to roll oh okay that's my fault that is uh Mm -hmm. my fault right there Mm -hmm. because we just you know when i play these games tony i know some people are using like you know electronic dice rollers No, no no If I'm playing online, can I at least be able to get the feel of rolling some dice in my hands? And that's exactly what I've done. What I've done. And right before we started this, uh, we had a company contact us called Metallic Dice Games. Uh, they're at MetallicDiceGames.com. And they said, hey, we're reaching out to a few people, see if they want to be affiliates of ours. And we said... Well, let's let's check out what you got. So we went out to their website and we go, wow, those, those are some real nice metal dice. And they said, would you just like to see a sample to see what we're talking about? See if you want to do anything together. We said, sure. So they sent uh, me a full set of seven dice and, and you a set. Unfortunately, I didn't get them into you in time for the first game. You have them now, though. I have them now. You got a, 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 a sorted set, right? It's a, a bunch of different types to see the different types of metallic dice that they offer. So what I asked you to order for me was the, what they call their seconds, games that have slight blemishes and they're all different colors and things like that. So I got to see various things. If there's a blemish, I've yet to find it. So that's kind of a, they're not all matching, but for me, I can put a little cheat note down say, Hey, the green one is your D10 idiot. The D20 is (laughs) the silver one. (laughs) <laughs> I did get a matching set and I got these, um, these brass ones that have like a black enamel. They're, they're 16 mil. What's so funny? Oh, the expression. Get you get your monkeys in before it gets too cold. Get the <laughs> brass. Never mind. Sorry. Oh, <laughs> what was I saying? Okay. These are 16 millimeter dice. They're heavy, heavy metal dice. They have tons of different metal dice, but these are the ones I just wanted to check out. 
I, I love the weight of these things. They feel good. But my concern was, Tony, it's like, if I start rolling around metal dice on my desk and everything, it's going to dent the desk. So they also sent us these velvet dice trays. And these are the trays that will lay flat, but you can snap the corners mm-hmm. to create a little tray. The inside is nice velvet and the outside is leather. Man, dude, these trays are super sweet. They're big. They're only like $16 online. They have a bunch of different colors. So that night that we played, I had the uh, tray sitting on my desk, had all my dice sitting there. I could roll them and it wouldn't go clank, 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 clank all over the place. And they wouldn't roll off the desk. They make incredible products. They have so many things to choose from. They actually have a Kickstarter going right now. They have elixir dice. I don't know if you've seen these, but they Mm -hmm. have a liquid core in them. Uh, That's a Kickstarter that's going on right now. So we've agreed to work with them and we're going to be an affiliate of the affiliate of theirs and what does that mean that means if you go out to metallicdicegames.com and you order anything from there when you check out if you use the affiliate link rdtn you will get 10% off your order. Uh, we've started working with other companies. I mentioned we uh, we mentioned the ewinracing.com. You use RDTN, you'll get 20% off your order. We mentioned BGG. If you use RDTN, when you go to the BGG store, you'll get, I think it's like 10%. So what we want to do is create these relationships with these companies. And if you ever want any of these products, you can just go out there and get a little bit off if you want. I love these dice. And in fact, uh, Tony, this past week, I went to a big sale at a local game store called Mighty Meeple here in Charlotte. And you got on me for not telling you that the store was having a big sale. But while I was there, they carry the metallic dice games products. They have these uh, bags. They have uh, the the dice trays and they have a bunch of dice. So this isn't like just a, a small little company that they have. They're in distribution. Uh, they make great products. So if you're looking for some dice, I'm telling you, metallicdicegames.com. Use the affiliate link RDTN. We'll have a link actually on our website that you can go out there and check them out. And Tony, I may order some more uh, of, of the stuff that they have. They have some non-metallic too, so it's not just metallic. They have acrylic also, but I've never had a set of nice metallic, and now I'm glad I do. Yeah, I was sitting there. What was the um, oh the the rare earth ones, the gemstone ones? Some oh, the, the, I think those are expensive though. <laughs> those are nice. Yeah, I was looking at those. I think it's the Aquamarine. I was like, oh, bunch of different dice. A, a great company to work with. They've been super nice. So. Uh, give them some love. I may actually order some of these bags. They have some velvet dice bags mm-hmm. with satin liner. I would use those for like token holders, mm-hmm. for like Arkham Horror or something like that. Those would be nice too. And very reasonably priced. Those bags are only four bucks. Yeah, four bucks. And the larger one is five bucks. You're absolutely, I mean, Sagrada. I would order one of oh, those yeah. bags to put that in there. If I could get Sagrada dice, I know the Sagrada dice are, you know, they're certain colors, but I'm sure I could find some Sagrada dice there. What is this? The, uh, Unicorn, the oh the oh mega metal, the big ones, sixteen dollars. That's what we need, so people can really hear that <gasps> rolling across the table. Thirty-five millimeters, man. They got glow in the dike. Uh, glow in the dike. Wow. They got glow in the dice. Wow. Let's try that again. They got glow in the dark dice. <laughs> Are you sure that's right? The other one that caught my eye was the amethyst, which is my birthstone. Our birthstone. It's not ours. Mine's garnet. Oh, you're not Aquarius? Well, that's, that's based on the month, not the... not the. It's oh, not this these, month. That's right. It's the month. I thought it was based the on the Zodiac. And by the way, we're not Aquarius anymore. Don't you know that changed several years ago? No. Yeah. 
I don't keep up with that stuff, but suppose we're not Aquarius anymore. We're something else now because they changed the dates. What? Yeah. Go look it up. I'm almost positive we're not Aquarius now. You can't just do that. What's that called? Horoscope signs? Horror? Scope signs, yeah. You can't just change my horoscope. That's who I am. That's how I've built my whole persona on, is that I'm Aquarius. Okay, never mind. I was wrong. For some reason, I thought it changed. No, we're still Aquarius. There, so was, one, there was one sign that did change. But okay, so I apologize. We're still Aquarius. We're water barriers, whatever that means, but we're that. Oh, I need me these amethysts. There is a dawning at the age of Aquarius. I need these amethysts. Oh, that's another yard to mow. Well, uh, boy, you better save your money because remember, we're going to be talking to Justin Gray in just a few minutes and uh, (laughs) you you might want to save your money for that. In fact, why don't we go over there and uh, talk to him real quick because uh, that money that's burning a hole in your pocket, you're probably going to want that for dice and possibly this too. And make sure to uh, come back for the outro, everybody, because we want to share our preview of Rise of the Empire from uh, Portal Games. Tony and I got a chance to check it out. It's on pre-order right now. We can't wait to tell you about it. Plus, plus in the outro, we're going to tell you about how we are going to be at PortalCon virtually. Tony, you and I get to talk to some very exciting people over the years. Well, we have got to talk with some exciting people here. And we're getting ready to talk to somebody else too that has a huge influence on our gaming hobby over the past, gosh, I don't know, 10 plus years, we are so excited to have on the show a designer, a CEO, an author, and now a podcaster from Stoneblade Entertainment, Justin Gary. Justin, welcome to the show. Oh, it's great to be here. I love the intro. <laughs> woo, 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 yeah, woo, woo, woo. now we're talking. Let's yeah. do it. Let's make this happen. Mm. Justin, you may not realize this, but Tony is a ascension app connoisseur tony please tell us how many games of ascension have you logged on your ipad now i am running behind our good buddy dan patrice over at the geek all stars but i have completed 1071 games (laughs) nice nice uh, i currently have 10 that are going on (laughs) and i'll go ahead and say it dreamscapes is my favorite of all of them i'm sorry i don't know justin where your favorite is but that is my favorite expansion i love it love it love it Mm. that's awesome i love it i love to hear that yeah well so then uh delirium uh, and deliverance uh bringing in the uh extra dreamscape uh functions and playing with insight tokens uh is pretty exciting too so some of that, that more of that is coming soon to the app just go ahead take my money now just keep dropping them on me i'll just keep buying them let's go <laughs> <laughs> all right well you guys keep keep playing i'll keep making it there you go. And uh, so here's the thing. I was going to go back to many years ago f- uh, for a game that uh, Justin, you had designed that Tony and I played. But so we actually do a tad bit of research on this show. And I went back even further than that. And I, I guess I had read this somewhere, but forgot it. But on your Wikipedia page, it says that in 2002, you won the Pro Tour Magic the Gathering tournament. Yes, that is correct. That is correct. I did not know you were a Magic the Gathering champion. That is crazy. And Tony, get this. The other people who were there that also placed were people like Rob Doherty, who's with White Wizard, who made the game Star Realms. 
Yeah, that's right. Rob and I used to be on the same team. Actually, that Pro Tour, so this was Pro Tour Houston. It was one of the most uh, incredible experiences of my life up to that point because Rob Doherty, Darwin Castle, and I were all uh, teammates. We all tested and worked together. All three of us played different decks in the event, which is pretty unheard of for a team. Usually you settle on one deck. All three of us finished at the end of the Swiss rounds, number seated number one, two, and three. Wow. And in the top in the top eight, we never lost a game to anybody but each other. And we finished one, two, and three in that tournament. So that was a really wow. fun event. That was a really fun event. I had no idea you were a pro player, man. It's like you that's what I say. It started at 17. Yep. I won the US national championships when I was 17 years old back in back in 97. How do you become a pro player? Well, uh, I mean, the basics are uh, you need to win uh, games and play on the pro tour. I, you know, if you want to get into some more detail, I can, I can, uh, I can answer that. But for me, it was the story was actually pretty interesting. I mean, you know, I didn't really, you know, I, I found Magic because some friends actually at a local Laser Storm league would play. We used to play like laser tag with some friends, and they would play Magic in between matches. And I saw them playing, and I was like, oh, that looks like fun. And you know, picked up a deck and started playing, and then I was like, oh, okay, wait, I probably shouldn't just play with all the cards. I own I should probably like maybe only play two colors and I kept playing and then eventually they were all like hey we're gonna take a road trip and we're gonna go to the state championships you want to come and I was like you know again I'm like 16 17 just turned 17 that time and I was like yeah sure that sounds like fun and so I went (laughs) and then won that and qualified for nationals I didn't have enough money to go to nationals myself so I ended up running a little tournament at my local store to earn enough money to from entry fees to get a flight and then slept on somebody's floor at origins at columbus and then won the national championships and then started you know getting in the spotlight and going to pro tours and then i had signed up how i paid my way through college just playing magic holy cow dude that's amazing Tony, we could have gotten through college by playing games and we were just too stupid to realize. No, no, we would have never gotten out of college. You know, I've mentioned that many times. If we had things like magic or anything like that back in the Stone Ages, what were your colors? I'm curious. Uh, Blue red was my big, that was the one I won uh, nationals with. It was uh, just the deck I loved the most. I like to be able to counter people's spells and destroy their stuff. So uh, that was really a lot of the heart of, uh, of where I started. And then, you know, over time it evolved, but blue was always my main color. I, I very much like to be able to sort of take control of a game, uh, get to a position of, of dominance and then win eventually. The, the... So people hated you. Yes, 100%. No. <laughs> I, I'm not saying I was the most fun to play against uh, back then, but, uh, you know, it was really fun. I mean, I think, you know, when I when I talk about, you mentioned, you know, I have a podcast and a lot of times I, I interviewed, I, I mean, I interviewed game designers and there's almost always one of two starting points, right? Either they played Dungeons and Dragons or they played Magic. And then that started spawns this love of design and this love of games. And I think one of the great things about playing Magic was, well, one, you know, I had to learn and dissect how games work and break it apart so that I could break the game and try to win. But more like when you're building a deck in a collectible game like that, you end up really designing your own game in some ways, right? You're building your own game within a game. And so I think a lot of the skills that I was able to sort of develop from building different decks and seeing how things might work ended up translating to a to a game design career. Well, let's go from there because uh, I guess you stopped playing as on the pro tour and you actually moved into game design a few years later. 
Well, yeah, so there was a there was a brief interlude there that I think it's worth uh, stopping at for a moment because I quit uh, the magic and I actually went to law school. Um, I went to uh, NYU Law and it was always destined. That's what I was supposed to do. Both my parents were lawyers. I was always, you know, magic was a fun thing to do through college, but it was never supposed to be a serious career. And I spent a year in law school and I was miserable. I, you know, I just did not, it was not my calling. And I, that summer I got an opportunity to do an internship at a company called Upper Deck, uh, in San Diego, uh, working on the versus system trading card game. Mm. And they fortunately reached out to me because of my, my magic background. So I had a chance to, instead of like going and working in a law firm in New York, I got to go work at a game company in San Diego. I was like, yeah, sure. That sounds like fun. Um, and at the end of that process, they said, Hey, look, you know, you, you're good at this. You know what you're doing. If you want, you have a full-time job here. You want to come work for us. You know, to a lot of people listening, it might be like a simple, like, woohoo, great, great. But at the time, it was a very difficult decision. I mean, you know, it was, you know, whether you could make a living as a game designer, giving up a clear path. I mean, my mom actually cried when I told her I made the decision. Uh, but, you know, uh, she came around, don't worry. <laughs> uh, and, uh, but it, it's a really important thing because for a lot of people listening, you fa everybody faces this choice at some point in their lives, right? Are you going to follow your passion? Are you going to do something that's going to help you to come alive? Are you willing to take some risks to do that? And, you know, again, calculated risks. I always could have gone back to law school if I wanted. But being able to follow that path was really critical for me. And, it, and that story recurred throughout my life. Uh, and so I like to, I like to tell it to, to help people out there that may be on the fence or facing one of those difficult decisions themselves. So your mom didn't realize that, or she, I'm sure she did. Mom, I've been playing games and I put myself through college. Connect the dots here. Well, to say that, you know, yeah, exactly. I mean, the, the difference for her is like, does do you think that, are, is this game thing going to really keep going? And, and and put yourself back into that position, right? We're talking mm -hmm. about 2003, 2004. Do you really think that Magic the Gathering, a trading card game, is going to keep growing and become a huge thing years from now? Or or do you think a lawyer is likely to be the thing that's going to be around years from now, right? What Where do you think mon the money is going to be? And, and again, she wanted what was best for me, and I understand where she was coming from. Obviously, it's worked out pretty well, so I'm, I'm happy with this is the choice I made and, and she's happy too. What she really wanted was for me to be happy and uh, and that's what game design is doing because I get to spread happiness and make make people happy for a living and, and there's nothing better. And you mentioned the uh, the Versus system, which is our first intersection with one of your games because it was during this time that Tony and I were really getting into CCGs. Uh, our first game that we really got into was uh, Lord of the Rings, the card game, trading game, CCG. And then we started playing all of them. And of course, Versus came up and we we played it. And right after that, we got into heavily into Upper Decks, World of Warcraft, the card game. Tony and I were playing the video game. I liked, you know, like Warcraft 3. So we got into the card game, played it heavily. And then all of a sudden, there's this little game that came out. And I said, Tony, do you want to check out this thing called the World of Warcraft miniatures game? And he's like... <laughs> Yes, yes, I would. And your name is actually on that game as a designer, I believe. Yes, yes. I was the lead designer of that project. I also was the brand manager and product manager. And I uh, that was a, a laborer of love for mine for three years to get that thing out the door. 
that was a, a fantastic game. The the only issue I ever had with the game was... Oh, wait, I know what the answer is. The bases. The no, bases. Yes. I know exactly what you're going to say. I know. We all had that issue. <laughs> Believe me. For those who don't know, explain what we're talking about. Yeah, so uh, the World of Warcraft miniatures game, you know, I've, I've been a huge miniatures game fan for, for my whole life. I used to play Warhammer 40k and Heroescape and Heroclix and all that. And so for the World of Warcraft miniatures game, I really wanted to bring something new to the table and, and solve a lot of the problems that I saw in the industry. And so the the fundamentals of it are, of course, it's using the characters from Warcraft, and we had all these beautiful 3D painted minis. Uh, but the fundamentals of the game was that there was a what, what we called the tick system, which used time as a resource. So every one of the characters, you could have really powerful moves, but they would advance you forward in time. And then so the lo- more powerful the move you took, the longer it would take before you could go again. Now, this was really cool and created a lot more dynamic back and forth than the traditional miniatures like I move all your guys, you move all your, you know, I move all my guys, you move all your guys type of thing. But what it required was we had to track that information on the figures. And we thought it would be really cool as an evolution of, um, you know, Heroclix had that built-in base where every every miniature had the sort of thing built in. And we were like, well, wouldn't it be cool if you had a detachable base so you could use the same base on different guys? And so it would track not only the time where that when that mini would go again, but also their health and how much damage they took. And in the prototypes we had, this all worked great. It was awesome. And you could see everything from across the board. Of course, <laughs> when we got to mass production, you know, very small millimeters of difference in just variance that happens in mass productions meant some of the bases held on just fine, some of the bases not so much. And over time, they would wear out. And so one of the common complaints we had was that that base snap, you know, snap and hold mechanism just wasn't good enough. Um, little did I know, uh, as a as a game designer trying to make my way and figure out how to make these products, uh, that that problem was going to exist. But yes, it was a challenge uh, for sure. But otherwise, people loved the game. And, and I still get people messaging me about it to this day. So um, that's part of, we'll talk about why that's an inspiration that's meaningful to me now uh, in particular, but we can get to that later. So Marty, but I will have to say that method was better than another game company that we were messing with in miniatures and that was Sabretooth and the Lord of the Rings. And we had the little sliders. Remember those? Yep. Yeah, it was little sliders that actually tracked health on the bases. Everybody was into trying to put some little mechanism on the base thanks to the hero clicks. The concept I love was the tick system because it felt like I was playing an MMO because every... Mm -hmm skill had a recharge time right. and you were mimicking that in the in the base with the little uh tick system and there's another card game that we played tony um city of heroes had the same mechanic where uh you had a concept of when you spent something it either cost like a 90 degree turn or 180 degree turn a skill and it recharged until it stood back up again then you could use it again so i had the same concept so yeah. i love the idea of like mimicking like an MMO spell, the more powerful the spells, the longer it took to be able to use it again. But yes, we were plagued with the, why won't this stay on the base? How many ticks did I have? Was it two? Was it three? I don't remember because <laughs> they would just fall off the base. Yes, yes. No, I've kept a, I've kept a handful of these uh, still at home with the the bases that really held well. So I've got for my games here, the ones that like the, the tried and true, the ones that really hold up. So it's been it's been fun, and I learned a lot of lessons from that process for sure. Both not only just how to make miniatures, uh, but also the you know the keys to the mechanics, what makes miniatures games fun, uh, where people get tripped up, all of that stuff has been something that I learned a ton from, and it was a, such a such a cool project to be a part of. Now, before we get to why you're here, other than reminiscing down memory lane here, one of the things I read that you wrote was how you know line of sight. That's always a challenge in miniature games. Do you feel that? Oh, 100%. Yeah, trying to make it so that it represents the your instincts well about when I would be able to see something. Like So miniatures games, a big part of the fun of miniatures games is that 
tactical positioning, right? The mm -hmm. idea of like being able to set yourself up so you have an advantage, so you're able to control territory that matters, so you're able to get, you know, some bonuses when you're in combat, all of those things. And and line of sight and terrain that blocks line of sight is a key part of that. But then how do you communicate that to players, right? Is it, you know, you have to literally take a ruler and like trace a line between the people? Is it there's some other mechanism for it? Uh, and so trying to find a, a good, clean system that generally tracks with what your instincts should be, but is not, you know, you could explain to somebody uh, quickly uh, and you don't have to bust a ruler out, I think was always a, an important goal of mine. Yeah. And then the miniature death. I mean, I was also reading some more that you were writing about when we played, um, oh, what was it? Privateer Press game, War Machine. War Machine. Yeah, yep. War Machine. And we would go, and I'd go out there and I would have my big bad out there getting ready, my troll. He was going to smash some people and I rolled pathetically. And then, ah. to, and then to watch them come and decimate him and watch him go to the side, one of my best painted miniatures ever. And he's sitting over there in the case because he just got defeated. That crushed me. Just crushed me. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. It's, and, it's, and it creates what, what I call, you know, it's sort of a snowball problem, right? With most miniatures games, your objective is to defeat all the other miniatures. Or, and as you defeat the miniatures, it becomes easier and easier to defeat the miniatures. So once you start taking down, you maybe with a lucky roll of the dice, and you take out their big unit, it then just becomes easier and easier for you to win because they have less things to fight you with. And so with both the World of Warcraft miniatures game, as well as, you know, the project we haven't yet talked about, um, I really wanted to make sure that miniature death wasn't the end of the world that there were ways for you to be able to make a comeback and that miniatures could respawn and that there were ways for the game to have a good flow back and forth so that the first the first kill was not always necessarily fatal. So you spent three years designing a miniatures game. Now let's jump ahead to just a few years after that where you uh, started your own company, I believe, sure. and you came out with a brand new game called Ascension. That is correct. That is uh, exactly 10 years ago uh, in, uh, in August. Uh, where I sold my very first copy at, uh, at Gen Con uh, 2010. Uh, and so, yeah, that was me starting my own company and launching my first product. And, uh, well, it turned out to be a far, far bigger hit than I could have anticipated. So here we are 10 years later. And this is where you and I actually had an intersection. You just didn't realize it at the time. 2010 was the first Gen Con I ever went to. I remember in the back of the convention hall, there was this little booth back there. And I was really into deck building games at the time. And I went, wait a minute, there is something different about this deck building game that's really cool. It's like uh, you're attacking monsters and stuff. And and there's only a limited amount of, you know, victory points that you're trying to grab. And that's what triggers the game. I was all into it. So I was one of the first people that visited your booth at Gen Con in 2010 and been a fan of Ascension ever since. Oh, well, thank you. That's awesome. I, I you know, I still uh, tell stories about those days because we had very little money. I mean, I basically had spent all of my life savings to make Ascension in the first place. And uh, so at Gen Con, we got the little artist alley or the entrepreneur alley booth, the smallest booth you could get. I yep. applied for the marketing promo and did some submitted some things for them. And so they got they, they doubled the booth size for me uh, at no cost. And then what we ended up doing was people like you would come by and they loved the game so much. They would then buy the game and then sit down on the floor next to it and then just start demoing to other people. And we ended up taking over the little food area next door and <laughs> people playing throughout the hall. And so it was this amazing kind of viral growth where we would just see people all throughout the, the convention playing the game and demoing the game and talking about the game. And, and that was really the where it all kind of happened for us. So it was, it was pretty amazing. I, I'm just floored, Marty, about how Justin keeps coming out with expansions from that game. And just how they all keep <laughs> tying together. But I will never play where you you just throw all the cards together. To me, I know that doesn't. But it's amazing where I can tie 
one that you recently released, like um, oh, Dreamscape, and go back to the original, and it all works together. I don't know how you do that, man. That's amazing. Well, you know, uh, I have a, a great uh, answer for you. I actually just finished recording a Twitch stream I did uh, just on Sunday with uh, that I talk about. How do you make games that last? What are the tips that you could do? What is the principles for coming up with new systems and coming up with new ideas and new rules? And how do you make them all tie together? Uh, so you can anybody can find that on Twitch TV slash Stoneblade. Um, and that's uh, that's for free. But I'll give you the basics, the, the, the number one principle here. I mean, you know, I talk about it for an hour there, but the number one principle uh, is that you have to understand what the core of your game is. And once you know what the core tension of your game, right, the fundamental thing that players are struggling over and struggling with, if you know what that is, every single expansion you do, every single mechanic you do has to add to that tension or create a counter tension that will play with that. If it does something else, if it takes attention away from that, then it's a mistake and it's gonna pull people out. So I'll give you an example. You mentioned Dreamscape as, as your favorite and as, a, as the setup here, right? Dreamscape mm -hmm. gives you a, a protected set of cards, right? In Ascension, for anybody listening that's not familiar, the Brave, you know, Ascension is a deck building game. You have a, we were the very first deck building game to ever have a changing center row of cards, where the six cards that are available, once somebody takes one, a new one shows up. So every game is different. The main tension is around that idea of trying to get the cards that you want and stop your opponent from getting the cards that they want and trying to like wrestle over that. But often everybody in Ascension knows that the 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 pain point of like, oh my God, there's a card I really want, but my opponent just took it right before I could get it, right? Mm -hmm. And you all feel that pain. And so what Dreamscape did was it said, okay, well, what if I gave you cards that are your very own, right? You have a set of cards, your own Dreamscape. Nobody can take those from you. You've got them, hold on. And so that gives you this extra relief from the, the core tension of Ascension. But in exchange, I gave you this new tension, which is the insight mechanics, which are these tokens that are very rare. They're very hard to get. And you once you spend them, they're gone. And so you have now this new tension of, okay, well, how do I get insight and how can I spend it? And then that creates, a, and, and I have to use the center row to try to get access to more insight. And so now the, the tension rank, ramps back up again. So just to give you an example of like how to think about that kind of problem. Hopefully that helps. Oh yeah, no, it helps. It doesn't help me win. I've been, I've, oh, <laughs> I will say, and this is not a knock. I mean, every game this can happen to, it doesn't matter what you're playing, but I have seen it where in Ascension we have swung. I mean, it, it becomes... I can't get a single card, and yet the guy I'm playing against, he gets everything. I have lost by over 100 points before, and I have seen where he has played 30 cards. And I'm like, sure. I'm just like, okay, first off, I want to reach across that screen and kick your butt for doing that. <laughs> and then second, he there's, um, oh, I forget which one it is. It's not the World Ender one, but there's one that, that pulls all the pool back into the center, and you have to keep playing. <laughs> yes, he yes. did that and pulled it all back. And I was, I really, I was ready to forfeit, Marty. I, you want to talk about a grumpy Tony? Oh, I was mad. Oh, I was mad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's a, it's 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 definitely one of the things of the your greatest strength is your greatest weakness in many ways. And the fact that Ascension can have such a, a huge variety of play is why you play it over a thousand times and you still want to come back for more. But on the flip side, that huge variety of play sometimes is going to lead to some experiences which are not that much fun, uh, you know. So, so yes, I, I hear you there, and I've been I've been on the receiving end of that myself every now and then. And I will say, I don't know if, if Brian uh, Brian H, you know who I'm re referencing here. Uh, I know he was he's, he works at the Stoneblade booth. Oh yeah, yeah, I know who you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, he wasn't the one that did it, but he's beat me hundreds of times it feels like so uh, uh, we're, yeah. we're always constantly battling now so love it love the game sorry i could go on so marty we need to move on 
So let's jump forward about 10 years and you have all these amazing, amazing expansions for Ascension. And somewhere along the way, you've just said, you know, I've got this itch or, you know, I've been wanting to go back and visit miniatures games again. So you've decided, you know what, I'm going to take this well-known brand that I have in this mechanic, mix it with the miniatures game, and you're going to come out with what is coming out on Kickstarter, actually on the day that this episode is released, which is Ascension Tactics. Yes, Ascension Tactics. I, I'm so excited. And, and it's been fun, actually, the way that this chat has been structured because you've taken me back through my history. And so it makes it very easy to see how this game is the culmination of the last 15 plus years of my life and my design career. Because I take what is the best of tactical miniatures games and everything I learned from making the World of Warcraft miniatures game and the best of deck building games and everything I've learned from a decade of making Ascension expansions and mash it up into one new crazy thing that is live on Kickstarter, I guess right now as this is uh, as this uh, podcast airs. Uh, mm -hmm. And uh, and yeah, it's amazing. And, and I, I was really, I was really focused on taking uh, how do you make the best of those worlds shine and make each one better? Uh, and so, you know, as, as an example, the the fact that you have a center row, instead of spending power like you do in Ascension to kill monsters, you use that power to command your miniatures. So you can have, I can have four giant monsters and miniatures on my side, and you can have four smaller ones on your side, and it's still going to be balanced because that means I need to get that much more power to command my miniatures to keep them on the board. So just like I tried to solve the problem with uh, in World of Warcraft miniatures with the tick system to create a dynamic, interesting way that characters interact. We did that with the deck building system here so that the power that you use can control your miniatures. And you can buy cards from the center like constructs to upgrade your miniatures or things to give them speed boosts or run around the board differently. And so not only do the miniatures have their own personality and powers, but you as the player, as you build your deck, can increase their power and strategize and manipulate them and move them from one direction to another. And so it's created this amazing, fun, brand new kind of thing, right? Ten years after creating Ascension, deck building games are a dime a dozen. Back when Ascension got released, there was like one or two deck building games out there. And now there's so many of them so that I'm able to take that as a building block to create this new genre of game and, and really hybridize the two things. So I'm, I'm incredibly excited about it. I really, you know, obviously I, I would love for people to go check it out. And you don't have to take my word for it. Not only have we had reviewers take a look at the game and we posted stuff on the page, but we're also making it available to anybody that wants to play. We actually built it in Tabletop Simulator. So even if you're stuck at home, you can play the game right now. Uh, we have a Discord server set up. Everything can be linked to if you go to stoneblade.com slash tactics uh you'll see all that stuff and um you know we have all beautiful art and our characters come to life over the 10 years we have fun gameplay with cool scenarios and co-op and solo mode and pvp and everything i could think of i mean i've really put years of development and work in, into making the most awesome thing i could think of so that's Ascension Tactics. So how long has Tactics been in development? Well, the last two years, it's been an active, you know, significant development. Um, so, you know, two years ago, we knew uh, the 10th anniversary of Ascension was coming up. We wanted to make sure we had enough time to plan for what cool things we could do. And we have a bunch of other stuff. As part of the Kickstarter, we have a 10th anniversary edition of, of Ascension that you can get as an add-on into the Kickstarter, where we've updated and modernized all the art. So it's 100% <laughs> new art. I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> you, you just made Tony sick to his stomach because he's checking the money in his wallet. <laughs> he's going to see a lot of cash going out of his bank account pretty soon, I think. I was going to ask that too, because, oh... <laughs> you know, it's 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 happiness. You're buying happiness. It's a <laughs> finish, finish, finish. Tactics. Okay. <sighs> oh yeah, there's so much. There's so much to say. I mean, so so we we really wanted to um, 
bring in the best of of both worlds and and i love you know sort of pvp uh mode where you're gonna you know battle against another player sort of like world of warcraft mentors game did uh you can either have preset teams so each scenario will have a set of preset teams where you know i could pick one side you pick the other side or you can actually draft your champions at the beginning which is my the most fun thing so you actually pre-game you set up a little ascension six card center row and you take turns drafting the champions you want until you get four each and then you set up and go so the strategy of which champions you have and which champions your opponents have set up and change up the entire game before you play the main game itself. So it's really, really fun. I, I will say that um, uh, when you opened up the uh, Tabletopia and uh, I got access through through Discord, I merely went and read the rules. It's like, all right, here we go. Well, I just need to sit down and focus and get through this rule book. And I'm started reading it. Well, this is Ascension. Uh, so we start out with the same sort of cards. Okay, um, I, those are the symbols used for buying stuff from the middle. Okay, got that. Uh, some of the same keywords. Okay, got that. So what's different? Oh, okay. So now instead of using power to attack, I just use power to activate my champions and they can move a couple spaces and attack. I've got this. This is a piece of cake. <laughs> yeah. I was so surprised at how simple the rule set is. If you've played Ascension, literally in five minutes, you can just say, here's the only twist. You now have these miniatures, and here's how you activate them and what you can do with them. And that's it. Yeah, the, I, this has always been a really important thing for me as a designer is is really trying to distill things down to their essence. And, and with a game like this, right, it's intrinsically... There's, a, there's some intrinsic complication, right? I'm saying take a deck building game and a miniatures game and you need to understand how to do both in order before you can start playing. And so my team and I spent a lot of time really, what can we cut? How do we make this as streamlined as possible? So that just like in Ascension, all of the complexity comes out of the cards and the strategy and the how things evolve over time and not from the, oh, I've got to read this giant book. I mean, I don't know if you guys ever played like the you know, Warhammer 40K or any of those games. And it's like, you know, it's rules reading the game, right? Like, I mean, it was just so, many rules for everything and i love those games but the barrier to entry was so high so here it's like yeah you just start with exactly like you would any other ascension game but then you draft your miniatures and then you're commanding the miniatures and and each scenario has its own victory condition so you're trying to control territory attack the opposing miniatures use your cards to boost them up and power them up and and that's really all you need to know and then you can see like oh a new miniature comes up in the center you can actually acquire one of our legendary heroes that now joins your team and becomes part of your team or you could get a powerful construct and now give your mini splice it onto your miniature and get new powers or new ways to manipulate and give speed boosts to your team to upset what your opponent would think and so again all of that stuff comes out if you play which is why it was so important to us to give people the opportunity to play even before they have to back the game because i really do i want to stand by the beautiful how beautiful the miniatures are which you can see and we have turnarounds and everything on the page and how great the gameplay is because it's something that we've put you know years of development and passion and love into I don't have to play a stupid game on a computer. Go ahead. Take my money. Just go ahead. <laughs> I appreciate that. I appreciate that. No, I was going to say, you know, this is one of those cases where we had to take a crisis and turn it into an opportunity, you know, because mm-hmm. we, while we were developing this game, you know, we've got locked down in a quarantine and we, you know, we'd been pretty far along when the time quarantine hit, but we were not done. I mean, we're still not done. We're still working with people. But so we were like, what do we do? How do we survive? How do we make this game happen? And we couldn't just push it off because this is the 10th anniversary of Ascension. Like, I wasn't going to just launch it next year. I wanted to be part of the 10th anniversary. And so we did some research and we figured out how to get Tabletop Simulator up and running so that just so we could play test internally. And once we got that going, we're like, hey, why not? 
make this open this up to the world and let everybody out there help us and work together to make it. And so we first let it out to our email list a couple weeks ago and the people who had been following us and kind of fans for a while and they jumped in and they gave us tons of great feedback. And, you know, uh, uh, and now we've updated the game and made it even better. We've clarified the rules. We've tweaked a few cards and we're going to continue to do that throughout the Kickstarter campaign. So, and and I really feel like that gets at the essence of what Kickstarter, the best of Kickstarter is, right? Which is like, we get to co-create something together. The truth is I could never, well, I don't kickstart new Ascension sets because I know they're going to sell a certain amount and I can afford to make them and it's fine. With this, making a miniatures game costs so much to do it at scale and I want to throw in so many awesome things, but I can only do that if people back at certain levels. And I want to make this game as great as it could be. And so now I've got over a thousand people at the time we're recording this and probably way more that are in the Discord channel testing the game and helping give us feedback and make it better. And so it's been it's been really amazing and I, I feel really blessed that we were able to make this happen. And I never even would have dreamed of doing that if not for, you know, being stuck in quarantine and having to adapt. I will say that the miniatures are absolutely gorgeous. I know I've only seen the art of them on, on the website and everything, but they look amazing. I can't wait to see uh, how they come out. I guess you have some really good sculptors uh, working on the minis. I guess they're going to be, uh, I guess they're plastic. Yes, yes, they're all going to be plastic. We've got we got some of the best sculptors in the industry working on it, and it was so cool. And then, like, if you're a, you know if you're a longtime Ascension fan, getting to see your favorite characters come to life in 3D. I mean, I when I first held the you know the Arha Templar in my hand was the first one we did, right? He was the guy that was on the cover of the very first Ascension set ever sold, and to be able to see it now in this cool miniature was like it was amazing. And if you're not familiar with Ascension, they're just cool looking figures, and we designed them so that they're like the same size as uh, like D and D miniatures, and so they'll you know, you could play and use them in your role play game campaigns and paint them and do all the stuff if that if you're into that sort of stuff. But uh, it's just been really, really cool to be able to take these characters that I've been working with for more than 10 years, you know, as I was working on it before it launched and uh, and see them come to life is really amazing. Now, you talked about uh, earlier about how you can have in miniatures games, you have this thing called the snowball effect. And anybody that's played miniatures that know if, if you're putting out a bunch of minis against somebody else's minis, lots of times you just win through attrition. You take out enough of their guys, there's probably no coming back from that. But you said, you know what? We're going to address that issue. It's not about necessarily killing the the other miniatures. It's about controlling zones and collecting points that way. So tell us how you fix the issue of basically attrition that can happen in many miniatures games. Yeah, so there's a couple of things that we did. Um, One thing we did was, uh, and the the baseline is when, you know, death is not final, right? So if if I kill your miniature... It gets knocked off the board and it uh, and it exhausts and it's so it can't be commanded on the very next turn. Uh, you have to wait an entire turn before you can bring it back. So it's a setback, but it's not the end of the world. Uh, this is a key thing. One of the other aspects of this is, and then you don't score any points for knocking off their miniature. You only score points for controlling territory. So it creates some interesting decisions around whether you want to try to take out their resources and knock out their miniatures, install them, and try to take control of the board that way, or do you want to try to go for quick points and like grab points and key positions on the board and then hope that you'll just fight, you know, fight them directly a different way. And so that's one thing that creates some interesting strategic choices. The other thing we've did is, and people may, uh, you know, for some people this is blasphemous, and for some people they're probably going to cheer. They're there's no dice rolling. No dice rolling. Everything in this game is about upfront and strategic variance. 
the thing I don't know is whether, because I, I miniatures can only be commanded if I have enough power to command them. I don't necessarily know which miniatures my opponent will be able to activate on their turn. But if I know I can activate a miniature and walk up and kill another mini, then I know that's going to happen and that's going to work. And so that helps me to strategically plan out what I want. And the variance of the cards make sure that each game is different. But I don't get a bad die roll, like you were talking about, Tony, where I get a bad die roll and everything's ruined. Right? I can plan out my turns and I can do exactly what I want to do. And what that's also allowed us to do is take another lesson I learned from World of Warcraft miniatures games, and you don't even have to track damage on the miniatures. Ooh. This is this is huge, right? You don't have to tr like little, use little chits or tracking things or a base that's not going to connect because there's no <laughs> die rolling. Uh, you don't have to worry about a bad roll messing up your attack. If you know you're going to make the attack, you know how much to do. You hit the guy and then he gets knocked out, and you're good to go. So that really does help create a much more strategic, much more um, planned out flow of the game like you would expect from a deck building game. Um, and there are a bunch of effects to create fun variants. So there's um, a lot of the... We created a new keyword uh, called ambush, uh, where mm. cards from the center row... Whenever you buy a card, the ambush effect happens right away. See, normally in deck building games and in Ascension generally, when you buy a card, it goes to your discard pile and you have to wait until you draw it to get the effect. Ambush effects give you something right away. Um, and this can do some really cool stuff and and, sh and shake up the turns a lot more uh, based on cards that come and flip. And you get that excitement of the card flipping and like, oh, that's exactly what I needed right now, uh, which is really fun. So that was kind of like uh, in Shards I was going to say, yeah, there's Shards Yes, absolutely. Absolutely, yeah, that's a great uh, a great point. So that was actually the inspiration. So in Shards of Infinity, we created a mechanic uh, called mer uh, Fast Play, which Mercenaries had, which was gave you a choice of either I can buy the card and put it in my deck and use it and save it over the long term, or I can play it right now and get the effect right now, uh, but I don't get to keep it in my deck and it's gone. And that's actually where we started with Ascension Tactics, was that exact same mechanic. But what we found was... Uh, it ended up being a little bit less fun because in a tactics, it's so important to be able to control the board and move your miniatures that people would always choose to fast play and thus they would not end up building up their decks. And so their decks wouldn't get built as much. So the game became more tactics, less deck building. And I wanted it to feel like a good balance. Ambush lets you get the best of both worlds. You get an effect right now that helps affect your miniatures, but you're still building your deck towards the future strategy you want to do. And so it kind of ended up at a, at a, at a really good place. It also gave us the advantage of being able to do certain kinds of effects that are very unique that we would not want happening over and over again, right? So there's an ambush effect that lets you just deal a bunch of damage to a mini right away or destroy all the constructs on an opposing champion or place an extra forest tile on the board to be able to block terrain and, and, and set up stuff. Whereas if you could do that every single turn or every time you drew, you drew the card, it would be very you know crushing and not fun. But as an ambush power that can just happen once, it's an exciting way to shake up the game and give you a powerful one-off effect. And uh, with this game, you've got tons of different scenarios. you got a, a whole scenario book that uh, every time you play, you sit down and pick a scenario and uh, play. There are different winning conditions, I guess different maps, different terrain. Yes, absolutely. So this is one of those areas where Man, oh man, do we really bite off a lot with this project. Not only do we say, if you just took Ascension Tactics, I'm willing to stand by this. If you just took the base scenario, which we currently have available in, in Tabletop Simulator, that's pre-printed on one side of the game board, and you had the minis, and you drafted your minis, and you played, and you played the game, you could play this a thousand times just like Ascension, and you would not get bored. There's tons of fun variants. There's tons of things going on. But that wasn't enough for us. Because this was the 10th anniversary, we really wanted to blow it out. We put in 
over a dozen different scenarios and the scenarios can change the and we have the flip side of the game board is blank and we give you a lot of uh, movable terrain pieces so you can not only build the scenarios we give you but you can actually create your own scenarios and one of our hopes is that uh, fans will be creating cool scenarios and we'll be able to highlight those and post them and share them so we will have limitless numbers of scenarios that you can play in addition to that we built a solo and cooperative mode that players can use and work together as one to three, one to three players, and you can play four players team team against each other. Uh, so you can play one to three players against a villain deck. And the way that that works, because I know you want to know how it works, mm -hmm. uh, yes. is um, the so we have some villain characters, uh, and you set those up as as the opposition. And then we have what we call what we're currently calling the boss deck, which is sort of an AI deck that tells you what the boss does each turn. And so each of the boss's miniatures has like an icon that is associated with it. And the deck, you flip the deck, and it'll tell you which miniature to move and where it goes. And the boss will have some unfair powers that it'll do to mess with your stuff and you know attack you in different ways. Uh, and then the uh, each turn, the boss will play the last card they played, and then the and then a new card. And so you on your turn, you can strategize around. Okay, I know they're going to do this, so I want to prepare for this. But you can't plan 100% because their second card is unknown. So you got a little a nice balance of strategic planning and uncertainty. And then the boss cards also have threshold powers, where after a certain number of boss cards get played the boss cards get more and more powerful. And this is something we took from Shards of Infinity also, right? Where you had the mastery level and the cards that scaled up. We built in Shards of Infinity the Shadow of Salvation uh, expansion where we actually turned Shards of Infinity into a co-op game. And so we learned how do you make a very PvP game, a deck builder, into a PvE game. And so we use a lot of those tricks here so that the villains feels like they scale at a similar level to the player. Because that's always the problem, right? Deck building games are intrinsically scaling, right? The more cards I get, the more powerful I get, therefore the more powerful I get. And it's an exponential curve. And so we had to make a boss that could keep up with you, if it will, or even exceed. So you have pressure to try to beat them before it's too late. Uh, and I think, you know, there's still, this is, you know, a great thing. We're still continuing to work and develop and build out more scenarios for this, but it's a really fun way to play. Um, whether you're stuck at home alone or whether you just want to play with some friends who don't want to just attack each other, but want to want to battle together and play a series of scenarios in a campaign and all kinds of fun stuff. You know what that reminds me of is uh, when we were playing the World of Warcraft uh, CCG is they came out with the dungeon mm -hmm. decks where they turned the card game into a co-op game. Uh, yeah, against a, a dungeon. Usually there's somebody playing that role. But the idea was that uh, as you faced a boss, like in the video game, there were different levels. And the more you beat it down, the tougher it got. It kind of sounds like the same sort of thing. Yeah, well, yeah, but you know where that idea came from. I built that. <laughs> I built what? that for... So I built it for the uh, World of Warcraft miniatures game. We created an Anixia raid. And, and I used similar strategies where the Anixia and her minions were controlled by a deck and battled against the players. And that product never actually got to... To, to market because we right. couldn't the Anixia dragon which looked super cool there are some pictures of it out there I'll see if I can dig one up for you uh, but it was too expensive we just couldn't figure out how to get it made and then that became the inspiration for doing it in the World of Warcraft TCG we're like well we can't do it in the minis game but we could do it in the TCG and so then that team did an amazing job developing and building it out for the TCG so yes this is something I have worked on for many many years <laughs> <laughs> so Marty once again the paths cross the streams have crossed yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, everything. I mean, it's just really cool to see that all these uh, games, Tony, that you and I were playing 10 to 15 years ago, 
had just a, a part of this and we didn't even know it. And here we are later talking with him about a brand new game that's inspired by 10 to 15 years of design that he had done in the past. It's so cool, man. Yeah, by that little 16-year-old who's wiping the world with magic, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> so, so I do have a quick follow-ups for you, just so I know just how much money I have to spend here. <laughs> Justin, I apologize. I, I will never be able to pronounce anything here, but is uh, Verdagris the Wild, uh, is he going to be one of the miniatures? Did that say him right? Dreamscape life, uh, Dreamscape Lifebound, Big Dragon. Uh, uh, yeah, he is not uh, one of the initial miniatures, but uh, we could talk about stretch goals, and we're going to give people some opportunities to pick some of their favorites. But there, we will not, we will not make a miniatures game without at least a dragon in it. I, I was going to say, I, you got to have one in there. I promise, I promise you that there is at least one dragon that you can go check out there, and we have the possibility of more if the Kickstarter does as well as I hope it does, because I love dragons. I love dragons. And I look at just the artwork. I'm I'm flipping through all the the cards here and I'm looking just, you know, just having to pull up um Dreamscape, imagine that, and I'm like, oh my gosh, that would be an incredible miniature of the unbound emissary, right? And and that yeah. uh, that flowing, I'm just like, that would be an incredible miniature. Or Pasthea, the um Pasithia, yes. Pasithia, uh, like, yeah. She's also the hardest to pronounce miniature, uh the hardest to pronounce character. Actually, Pasithia is our very first stretch goal. So if uh, we do well, uh, that's going to be the very first one that we unlock. So All right, people. I believe. <laughs> Get your checkbooks out. Uh, Tony wants this. Yeah. Let's go. Yeah. Checkbooks. Cool. Uh, the checkbooks. Yeah, just mail, mail in the checks. What do you got? <laughs> All right, so uh, the Kickstarter is live. So, uh, what does it cost to uh, get in on in on the Kickstarter? What's the what's yeah. the tiers? So, so again, we give you uh, we give you let you buy in at whatever level you want, right? If you just want to be a part of the Kickstarter and support us, you know, we'll take a dollar, we'll take anything, and everybody that backs like today within the first twenty four hours, we want to do an extra thank you uh, and just put you, and you, all those people are going to get their name in our rule book because I think the people that are willing to put their you know money down up front and believe in us from day one. It means the world to me. And so I want to recognize that. And so have you be a part of, because you really are a part of creating this thing. So that's at the baseline, you know, back for a dollar, come be along for the ride. We've got tons of cool little contests and competitions and fun updates. So come do that. Even if you can't afford anything else, if you want to buy the main game, it's $99 comes with over 27 unique sculpts and 38 miniatures and 250 plus cards. And it'll hopefully be way more than that by the time we're done. Uh, and that's sort of all the minis, all the goodies. And then we have a couple of different bundles. Um, if you want to get, we have the, uh, obviously we partnered with Ultra Pro, who's been an amazing partner on this project. Uh, you want to get all the sleeves to protect your game. You want to get one of those play mats to cover it. Uh, you can do that. And we also have an ultimate bundle where you'll get not only the 10th anniversary edition that I talked about, where you actually, we have all of the new, all new art, 100% new art for the base game. Plus we made a few design and development tweaks to the cards to make it as I would make it today. If I would really update the game today, really cool, unique board with some really neat treatments on it. Uh, you get the collector's edition for year six which is the all foil all the content that we released in year six in an awesome tin uh and you can get all of that at a discounted price over what you would ever get it in retail for 300 bucks uh for all of it so all the sleeves you need to cover everything play mat all the goodies there and then if you want to get real crazy if you want to get real crazy which we, we didn't we weren't sure whether we were going to do this or not but i wanted to because i thought it'd be so so cool for the people that have some money to spare and they want to be a part of this game for real uh, we have four, uh, only four possibilities to become one of the chosen. See, we didn't sculpt all the minis yet. We made one, we left one reserved for each faction. 
If somebody wants to, and, and again, it's a lot. It's a, it's seventy five hundred dollars to do this because we're going to make you a custom mini that will be in the game. You're going to get your own version of the mini that's going to be oversized that we're going to send to you. Your art, your likeness. We turn you into a mini and you become part of our world. Uh, and that I just thought I don't know if anybody you know anybody's going to want to do that, but I know I would want to do that. Uh, and so we made it cool. There's only one of each. So if you want that at all, you better go check it out now because those are only going to last. You only get to pick your faction one time. Uh, so that was like a cool like high-end like if you just want to be in the game uh that was your chance yeah uh, marty i'd love to do that but i don't think donna my wife wants me to do that <laughs> <laughs> yes no i i recommend i think for most people that are ascension fans i think the ultimate bundle uh is great because you get a discount on all the things you get all the cool new games all the stuff everything you need all the sleeves that's what i recommend but like i said whatever anyone can do anyone's interested in um you know i i, I want you know, be a part of this. Uh, it means a lot to me. Uh, and I don't, I don't expect everybody to be able to back at that level. It means a lot to me if you can, but it's just a fun ride. And the fact that I've been able to make Ascension for 10 years is, is, is a blessing. And for those of you that don't have any money at all, that's why we're putting the game out. You can play it absolutely for free. You could, we have a print and play version. You can play it on tabletop simulator. You know, if you just come check it out, uh, you know, I want to make sure people out there can play and have a good time. Is there a limit to the number of $300 backers? No, there's no limit. That, yeah, those are those are because we're not going to actually print it until after the campaign's over, right? We're gonna we actually are still you know actively developing and finishing everything up. So those are those will just print to order, and this is going to be the only way. Most of the miniatures on this are exclusive to the Kickstarter. This will be the only way that people can get them. We're just going to print exactly as many as we get ordered uh, because that's just the easiest way for us to do it. And so everybody that wants to get it uh, now is your chance. I have never seen Tony squirm so much as Justin was going through what was in that $300 package. He was like, oh, he was just like he was getting punched in the gut every time. It's like, I want that. I want that. That's why I was laughing as you were saying all that stuff. And, and Marty, I'm sitting here calculating how many yards I have to mow. <laughs> oh, that, that, I got to ask. I got to ask. So, Justin, one of the things we always ask our guests is, do you have a lawnmower? And if so, what kind? I, I do not have a lawnmower. I live in an apartment and uh, don't have a lawn, so I have no lawn to mow. Uh, this is one of the downsides of San Diego. Uh, price, hey, buy, getting a lawn, affording a lawn is not easy out here. <laughs> but I do live near the beach, which I love. So I get to, you know, I, I, can, I, I can mow the sand. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, now, for those who back it at whatever level, $99 or whatever, when do you plan to ship? To the backers. Uh, next summer. So this will be August 2021. Um, we'll get it in everybody's hands. So you're looking for maybe uh, for not only the backers, but probably a, a Gen Con release to have it at your booth then? Yeah. Well, we're, yeah, the goal, that would be the goal. We all get to be together physically at Gen Con again. Uh, and and by the way, for virtual Gen Con, we are going to be there this year. Uh, we are going to have not only tactics games there and a tactics tournament that's actually happening during the Kickstarter campaign with some real prizes that we'll be playing on Tabletop Simulator, but also our Ascension World Championships, Charge of Infinity World Championships, all done online this year. So we can actually still participate. But yes, we want to have it in backers' hands before Gen Con and be able to sell a, uh, you know, have, have, have access to the game and stuff for that. Uh, so that, that, that's our ideal, but, um, yeah. And I'm actually glad you said that because that was a question I was going to follow up with. Do you plan to do some sort of uh, organized play? Uh, every good miniature game typically has organized play events for the community. Yeah, 100%. No, I mean, obviously, the, the world of organized play has been kind of rocked to its core, um, you know, given the, sure. the virus and everything. But uh, 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 I, I love 
not only do I love organized play, and that's why we're going to have a tournament even during the campaign, you could see. Uh, but, you know, I love being able to get together with friends and game. Right? Obviously, you know my background from <laughs> playing competitively in tournaments, uh, uh, you know, uh, as how I got into this industry. Uh, and, you know, the number one thing is actually is casual players. Number one thing is it's got to be fun for everybody sitting down at home and playing. But I, I believe that having a robust tournament scene and organized play and high-end you know strategy be possible is one of the things that helps trickle down and inspire everybody and, and so that's a that's always been a part of the vision so we want to you know give it a very high level of development and let it support that kind of play and and we'll back it in whatever form makes sense you know given the state of the world uh when we release all right well justin you've been on with us for a while but before we let you go with every first time guest that we have on the show there's a game that we like to play with each and every one of them, and it's a game we call Rank 'em. In our game Rank 'em, what we're going to do, Justin, is give you three items, three items from each of us, and then you're going to rank those in whatever order that you would want to. And then you can tell us why. Do you understand the rules of this game? I got it. Let's do it. All right, Tony, kick us off. All right, so we're going to go back in time. We're going to have a little history here. Rank StarCraft, Diablo 2, Warcraft 3, Reign of Chaos. Yeah, okay. I got. I know my rankings. All right, let's hear it. So uh, number one is StarCraft. I actually played... So much StarCraft uh, growing up, and I actually was ladder-ranked for a very short period of time. Oh, my God. Uh, he does everything. Very, very, he does everything. very, very short period of time. <laughs> I uh, I very quickly got outclassed, but back when it, that first was happening, I was very into it. I think it was so, it's such a brilliant game. Uh, it really, I think, epitomized the best of that genre. Um, and I'm a huge fan of the genre in general, uh, and so Warcraft 3 uh, falls next for me um, because it was, again, you know, really highlighting key characters and something that ended up becoming a really big part of the whole MOBA uh, world. Uh, and so Warcraft 3 was amazing and super fun to play. Uh, and then Diablo 2 is the last one. While I love those, uh, you know, it's an awesome game, that the genre of sort of, you know, run around and and, and, and kill things, uh, adventure like that is not, not my number, you know, not my main gameplay. So I didn't play it as much as the other two. Oh, Justin is a man after my own heart. I <laughs> love RTSs too. Yeah. And the one that got me into it was StarCraft for sure. For sure that's going to be number one. And actually, I have a picture from years ago of Tony and I in GameStop when StarCraft 2 was released. And we went and got uh, the midnight release uh, yeah. edition together. But StarCraft 1, WarCraft 3 is number two. Serious, even though it's just a RTS, one of the best video game stories I've ever seen with the story of Arthas or the fall yes. of Arthas is just amazing. Yeah. And then I love hack and slashes. I love Diablo, but the other two just are so memorable in my mind. Diablo two comes in third, but not by any means because it's a bad game. I still love it too. Yeah. hundred percent agree. All right. So I'm going to rank these based on how the theme music gives me the feels. Oh, that's <laughs> good. Okay. Well, I know it's going to be number one. Uh, well, obviously Starcraft. Yep. Oh, that just hearing that the music is just oh, I'm, I'm getting shivers right now thinking about <laughs> it through my head. Just something about the, all that theme music behind it. I still have it on my computer with the MP3s, and I will still listen to it today. And then it's going to be Warcraft Three. It's got to be because then it's just the, the storyline and it brings back that rush of the storyline. Diablo Two, 
uh, I don't remember it as well as the other two. Mm. So th- that's my ranking. So it sounds like it was a perfect match. This is like match game. Yeah, it, it not, not, not surprising we're all miniatures games fans and, you know, RTSs are at the top of the list, right? Those are, yeah. there's a lot of overlap in the types of games you like here. So, okay, right, we're all aligned. Easy. All right, all right. What's so round same, two? Sort of same uh, theme here. Orc, Torin, Troll. Yeah. Orc, Torin, Troll. You know, it's hard for me to uh, categorically uh, give good answers here. I think... I uh, I think I'm actually going to stick with them in the order that you gave them. I think Orc is number one for me. Um, I was always a Horde player in WoW. Um, and I for had, the Horde. Uh, for, for the Horde. For the Horde. For the Horde. Uh, and so I think that was, uh, you know, and I, and I, and I had uh, I had an Orc Warrior and I really enjoyed it. And I, uh, I did play a Tauren Druid. For a little while, and it, uh, uh, but I never played a troll character. I don't know why. They just, you know, they just never really, never really jumped out at me. And so, uh, because of my own, I, I'm writing them basically just a number of hours spent in World of Warcraft. Uh, it is Orc Torrent Troll. It, it's kind of like this is sad. We're matching again. Same thing because I played the Orc. I was a warrior as well, mining those silly rocks. And so it was just what characters I would have picked when I was evaluating Warcraft. It was going to be the Orcs. I love that character. I wasn't the, the Torrent. I could just picture a bunch of flies flying around me. So that was, of course, not going to be one I wanted to do. <laughs> and, and then the Trolls. For some odd reason, the troll skins did not capture me in Warcraft. Nothing against them. It's just, there was just something about it. I didn't, I didn't yeah. like them. Well, yeah, Tony, we don't want to offend a troll that may be listening. I know. So, yeah. Well, <laughs> what can I say? But so, yes, I, I'm the same way. Well, I guess I'm going to have to break the chain here mm-hmm. because oh, I right. always played, my main character in WoW was a Tauren. I just love the look of those guys. And actually, my second is a troll because I never really got into orcs, even in Warhammer, Warhammer 40k. I don't know. Orcs just never really did it for me. Or D and D. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, but anyway, so my uh, my rank is Torin Troll Orc. Okay. Well, you at least got one uh, one little bit of diversity here. I mean, your answers are wrong, but it's still you know. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> Uh, I'm still uh, I'm still floored that we've got a uh, magic champion, a ladder player in start. Marty, what have we been doing with ourselves? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I thought we were geeks, man. We we ain't got anything on this guy. He's, everything everything my parents told me I should stop doing ended up becoming my career path. You know, so <laughs> it's worked out really well. Uh, I, I will I will have to find out what type of lawyer you are going to be, Patton. No, God, no. I, uh, I, well, I was most interested in, in, uh, in international law and constitutional law were the things that were most exciting to me. Uh, but who knows what I would have been. I probably would have been a stupid corporate lawyer, man. I, I don't know. <laughs> I, 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 it's, it, it's, I, I often wonder what mirror universe Justin would be like. Uh, but I, I certainly um, am happy to be in this, uh, this version of reality. So for round three, here we go. You know, it's coming enlightened, life bound or void. Oh, that's not fair. You have me to rank, force me to rank my own. You can rank what, however you want. Keep that in mind. You don't have to say, okay. I like it this way or that. You can rank however you want. Hmm. Enlightened, life bound, or void. Ah, that's so hard. It's so hard for me to rank these. I think uh, I, will, I will go with enlightened as number one. 
I, I'm a blue player from back in the day of Magic, as I mentioned. Uh, the ability to draw cards and manipulate uh, is something that's always been fun. Every time I got a Master Dartha from the original set, I always was super happy. <laughs> uh, love and life. Um, and I like the, the, the whole aesthetic of their, of their, uh, uh, of their world. Uh, and then uh, Lifebound, um, because I think that the characters and the attributes of Lifebound have been one of the best things for us to bring a lot of non-gamers into the genre. Um, we find that a lot of people who, you know, they had a, you know, a, a girlfriend or their their daughter or friends that would not have played a game, that they could be attracted to some of these characters and come in and really enjoy the game. And so that 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 faction has been one of the best things I think for us. And, Overall, and I love to have the fun, cutesy characters combining with the giant, menacing, you know, beasts. Mm. Uh, and then the void. I have to rank last, but I, I can't. It's very hard for me to do because I think they're awesome, badass ninja, you know, shade warriors. Uh, but uh, I think that they, the void, tends to attract the more core gamer folk who like to banish all of their cards and have the ultimate ridiculous deck, which is, you know, fun and, and appeals to a part of me. But, uh, but yeah, I think, uh, I think I'll, I'll rank them in those orders, even though I feel like this is an unfair position to put me in. <laughs> yeah. It's like, uh, it's like grading your children or something. Yeah, exactly. Like yeah. Which yeah. of your children is your favorite? I'm like, oh, yeah. come on, man. I, yeah. It's just, I try to build each one of these factions represents an aspect of my psyche, <laughs> you know, and, every, and, and again, for everybody out there, that's what it's for. But like these ideas that's going to appeal to different parts of the, of, of who you are and the, you know, for different people will passionately debate which one's their favorite. Um, but for me, I can kind of recognize the good in all of them. So I, uh, I'll give my ranking, but only under protest. <laughs> and so for me, I'm going to go uh, Void first because it's just like the the look of them and their mechanic and everything. Followed by Enlightened. Let's go to the other end. And then I guess last would be uh, Lifebound. Even though I like their mechanic and everything, I just like the look of the other two. Sure. Uh, I was just kind of drawn to them. Before I give my ranking, I will say one thing. As far as deck builders go, every deck builder I play, I will always compare the culling in Ascension to them, if it does not have the same feel of the cull, then I then I I knock it down notches. Your, sure. your your culling is amazing, Justin. Just love, and you can get yourself in trouble real quick. <laughs> yes, yes. But for for me, I am going to rank it based on the artwork and what mm. doesn't scare the bejeebus out of me first is life <laughs> is life bound, and then we'll go to enlighten and void is just scary. That's all there is oh, to yeah. it. So yeah, there are some there are some some nightmares in there. We have an amazing uh, creative director uh, George Rockwell who we brought on a couple years ago, and he has done a great job and was a, really helped to spearhead our whole you know update of our look and everything. But he also has a penchant for scary things with tentacles that give me nightmares. So uh, every now and then they show up in the void or in the monster faction. Okay. So my last one and the last random question is, well, this kind of has to go back with the, the career that you did not choose. Here we go. Matlock, Perry Mason, Ali McBeal. <laughs> uh. <laughs> He's looking up Ali McBeal. No, my mom loved Ali McBeal. I'm trying to remember the others. <laughs> I remember, oh, I remember no. seeing a, I saw a few episodes of Matlock. I don't know if I've ever seen Perry Mason. It's okay. I haven't either. Well, Matlock, Matlock was the one he would always like do the like this kind of the folksy like, well, actually, what about this? And then they would all end up, you know, convicting themselves on the stand or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. Something is that? Am I remembering oh, that correctly? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, that was Andy super Griffith. fun. 
I liked I liked that one a lot. Uh, I think it's the so I was a not only was I you know obviously I went to law school, but I was a, a debater in college and, and high school, and I, I try you know I traveled doing that quite a bit, and I really love uh, that aspect of of the law. Like the thing I the thing the reason why I thought I would enjoy being a lawyer is that you know that debating and really trying to get at the truth is something I really love, and so that's what Matlock represents to me. So that's going to be a number one. Ally McBeal is going to get a number two just because I love my mom and I know she loves Ally McBeal uh, and Perry Mason. I got to put it three because I don't know enough about Perry Mason, I'm afraid. All right. So for me is um, shows that I probably watch the most of or how, how I rank them and how I watch them. And I still watch Perry Mason to this day on me TV. Wow. I enjoy, I, I love Perry Mason. It's, it's just something about that show. Um, and then we'll go to Matlock because I didn't watch a, probably a few and I've never seen Allie McBill. Well, I'm going to go with, uh, the cute quirky, that uh, the TV writing and what I just look at as a show. So I'm going to go with Allie McMill, Allie McBill, number one. I mean, it won a lot of awards. It was, uh, so I guess it was a dramedy. There was some funny stuff. There's some serious stuff going on there. It's kind of broke the mold for its time. And, uh, then let's go with Perry Mason. Cause it is iconic. Uh, even though I didn't watch a lot of it, I know the kind of place that it kind of has in the TV archives and the, in the history followed by Matlock. I had to do that to Andy Griffith, but, uh, you know, for Andy Griffith, he'll always be in Mayberry, North Carolina and not as a lawyer, uh, in court somewhere. All right. Well, Justin, there you go. There is our game of Rankum. And, uh, it has been such a joy talking to you tonight. It is, it is so amazing to look at your history and see how, shoot, Tony, this guy right here has an influenced our gameplay over the years where we may not even have realized it or not and come to find out he loves the same video games that we do and everything so uh justin i can't wait till this whole crazy virus thing is over and we can get together at a con and hang out because we we got a lot more to talk about buddy i agree i agree i cannot wait and you know for everybody out there that's sort of trapped at home and can't do that like you know i i always try to give these words of encouragement like stay connected we as a gaming community is one of the most like awesome welcoming places and being able to do whatever we can whether that's chatting through podcasts or connecting on discord or playing games online until we can all be together again around the gaming table which i i just can't wait for. And the only thing I'm going to say to close this out is go back the game, people. Tony needs stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so speaking of the game, that's Ascension's Tactics. It is currently now on Kickstarter. Obviously, we have a link in our um, blog. If you want to go check it out or just go search Ascension Tactics and Kickstarter and you'll find it. And Justin, if they want to find you, uh, you, your, your company or your products, where can they go to? Sure, yeah. Stoneblade.com uh, will have all of our uh, Stoneblade stuff, and you can sign up for our newsletter. I send out uh, information every week on not just the games, but also uh, information uh, about game design, behind-the-scenes stuff. Um, if you go to thinklikeagamedesigner.com, you can find not only my book on game design, but also a link to the podcast, where I talk to some of the best designers in the industry, including Richard Garfield, Eric Lang, uh, Jordan Weissman, all the kind of household names and amazing people uh, to just distill their lessons from game design and help anybody out there that wants to be a game designer or get a career in the industry to learn their stuff so you can find all that stuff there or now we just started streaming every wednesday uh on twitch at twitch tv uh twitch.tv slash stoneblade uh and you can uh chat with me live and see me play games and talk about stuff directly to me so i try to make myself as available as possible so 
Come find me in any of those places. Justin, thank you again so much, man. And best of luck on the campaign. I know it's going to do really well. And make sure, like Tony said, get out there. Uh, Tony needs his stretch goals. Right, Tony? Oh, yeah. Stretch goals. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. I'm updating my turn in Ascension. Hold on just one second. Shepherd of the Lost, gang two. Yeah, okay, okay. Tony. We're, we're done, buddy. We're, oh, we're okay. done. Okay, my bad. Be sure to head over to PortalGamesUS.com for all your needs from the Portal Company. They got it all over there. Not only that, they have the Portal Con coming up on July 11th and 12th. And be sure to check it out on Sunday, 5 p.m. Eastern Time, because Marty and I will be hosting. And you know that's a train wreck that you cannot, not miss. Also, be sure to check out all their good games that they have on that website, especially the new Rise of the Empire. That's a supplement to Imperial Settlers. That's at PortalGamesUS.com. We are lucky to get in our greedy little paws a new game called Cosmic Encounter Duel. It's not the full blown out cosmic encounter. It's just between two aliens going back and forth. And the aliens were me and Marty. And I must say, Marty, this game designed by Frank Brooks, Bill Eberly, Peter and Greg Oloka. That's never mind. I'm not even going to get close. Surprised us a little bit. I am so stunned. We're almost jumping to con- the conclusion here instead of saving it for the end. I loved this game. The reason why I loved it is because when I read the rules, it's like, wait a minute. The whole thing with Cosmic Encounter, and you and I have played Cosmic Encounter many times, and the thing about that game, right, is you get five or six people, and it is just negotiation, negotiation, back and forth, begging people to join your team. So when you think Cosmic Encounter, you think negotiation, and there's zero negotiation in this game. And after reading through the rules, I thought, then... I don't know how in the world I'm going to appreciate this, but after one game, I was hooked. I love, love this game. One, and they bring over some of the key elements of Cosmic Encounter for me, and that is breaking the rules with the alien powers. I really enjoy that, but they got rid of the thing for that I dislike about Cosmic Encounter, negotiations. <laughs> oh, you didn't like that part? No, it just, t- you know, it, it takes too long for me. It just takes okay. too long for me. Oh, good gosh. If you negotiate this, bring your ships in here. Oh, we're, we're tied. Not four, four, four. We can't ever get the five. Flip the table. I want out. I want to. Well, I know, but, it, but, that, but that's the thing. Cosmic Counter is really like a social game, right? Kind of at its core because mm-hmm. it twists and turns and curves and you never know which way it's going to go. You think you're going to win. All of a sudden you're in last place. I mean, you know, all these crazy things happens, but that, Part they've captured in this game with two players. Your goal is still to control five planets. The first one to control five planets wins. You're still going to send ships out to the planets. You're still going to play these uh, numerical cards where you combat against each other and add up your strengths and everything. And whoever wins gets to control that planet. All the basic core elements are there, but the craziness that goes on within the full game exists in this game. Yes, because some of the things other than your alien superpowers is the event car or the allies that you can bring to your aid. Instead of actual other people at the table, there are three allies out there that can come in and they can change winning conditions. They can change how things are figured out. That's wild. 
Um, some of the cards you play, you know, you talked about playing cards and comparing them. There's the reinforcement cards that you can get into your deck and those have positive values. Some have negative that you can play on somebody. So the first time we were playing this and we've played, like you said, multiple times, we weren't real sure how things are going to work, but once we got into it, the first two planets, we were like, oh man, this, this is straightforward. Easy to calculate, easy to figure out, and loving how they will break the various powers that happen. Each of you start with a deck uh, that has numbers ranging from, I think, uh, were some of them negative? It was ne negative two to 42, but not all the cards are there from negative two to 42. Right, right. There's a lot of gaps in there. And you're going to draw a hand of cards. And that's what you use when you combat each other. And uh, Tony, uh, the, the steps of each turn is very straightforward. You're going to flip over a card from the Destiny deck. Now, this is one mechanic that I loved in this game. There's three types of cards. Discovery cards, event cards, refresh cards. You're going to turn over the top card. And it's going to be one of those. A discovery card typically is, okay, let's bring a planet out you and I are going to fight. And then at that time, we're going to, we got your little, you know, the typical FFG little dial, right? How many disc ships are you going to send to the planet? You dial it in, you flip it over, you take that number of discs from your supply, put it on the planet. But then Tony, something new was added at this point to the game with the whole tactics stands, or we called them sitting cows. You called them sitting, I called them dogs. Okay. <laughs> So once everybody has committed their ships, uh, I mean, now you need to decide a tactic. Are you going to defend those ships or are you going to let their lasers fire and try to blow up the other guy? You got to decide which one you're going to do because these tactics are, you know, one through four, and that will determine if any ships survive on those planets. But each of the tactics have a one defense or one attack, mm -hmm. two defense, two attack. And you secretly assign one of those to the battle and then you, you flip, turn them around and, re, and then resolve them. So obviously defense adds how much decreases the damage you're going to do. And the other one just increases more damage. You sum the two and whoever has the most. Well, then what happens then is then there's a ship advantage. And that's based on the planet. So whoever has the ship advantage at that point gets an X amount added to their side before they play a card. Yeah, but there's something about those tactics. If you destroy all the other person's ships, mm -hmm. then guess what? You got control. You don't have to play the cards. It's true. So you got to get a little strategy there. Or better yet, if the planet is, oh, I don't know, completely empty, we destroyed each other. Mm-hmm rinse and repeat. And mm -hmm. it's not like those tactics get to come back to you, do they, Marty? They, they disappear until you play another tactic that will refresh those or cards will happen. Let's say I play my four defense. It's gone until I play the tactic that lets me reset tactics I've already used. So then, you know, it's like, well, Tony's already used the four and three and I've still got the four and three left. And you start doing a little mental math in your head. And it's like a two-phase part battle, Tony, like you said. You know, if all the ships are gone from one person, but uh, the other person has ships remaining, they get control. But let's say we still have both ships there. And then at this point, you look at the see who has the ship advantage. And this is one thing you got to get used to. At that point, the ships don't matter anymore. 
they don't come into play. That part of the battle is over. Now you're going to take one of your numeric cards from your hand and play it in front of you. And this is like regular Cosmic Encounter. Yes. And one thing we kept screwing up, you're actually playing the tactics in the card at the same time. That's kind of important as well, because you may think, well, I can add the ship advantage because I know I'm going to have ship advantage. Then suddenly you don't. Oh, good point. Yeah, you do put down a face down numerical card along with your tactic. Oh, and by the way, if both of you blow each other away, that card you just played goes to your discard pile. You don't get to put it back in your hand. No. So, you know, you battle over the planet, then you reveal your cards, add up your ship advantage and the card total. You have the opportunity, if you have any reinforcements cards, you can play those at that time. Whoever has the most is the winner. And then the person that's a loser pulls his ships back to his supply. And then he gets a bonus for losing, which always, it blew me away. I lost, but I get to win, but that's how they keep the game tight. It's like a little catch-up mechanic. Yeah. Sometimes there is an advantage to losing. Oh, we didn't mention, uh, when you do the ship-to-ship battle with the little tactics and destroying each other, any ships that are lost go to the warp. Mm-hmm. And that's like the regular game. And then there's mechanics in the game for getting ships back out of the warp. So let's say you go through all that. Let's say you won the planet. We flip over the next card. It could be an event card. And Tony, this is where the twist was. These events were crazy sometimes things that would happen and they're all different. Each one of them is unique. And they, this is where they throw the twist into the game of like little events that you have to consider. Maybe say, Hey, you're going to fight again real quick. I'm trying to think of some other examples of other event cards that we ran across that just threw wrench into our works. They were strange. Let's just leave it at that. It, it was interesting that you go fight on a planet an event occurs and then you either, you may go fight because at the bottom there's icons telling you which card to flip over next. And then, mm-hmm. um, then you go to, the third card in the if it if it's called for and it may give you another reward it's a refresh card and typically those were based on the planet you control every planet has a little colored icon and if you control that color icon you might can recover ships might can draw some cards from the reinforcement deck uh, might be some add some cards to your hand so they all have little abilities that based on whatever planets you control at the time you get something back But again, what I like about that whole Destiny card is you never know what's going to come up next. You could do two events in a row, then two Discovery, maybe three Refresh. You just never know. And one other unique point in controlling planets is you don't have to be the only one there to say control. You can both be on that planet and you're still in control. You're still there. You own half, I own the other half. So that's part of the give and take. So Because sometimes those cards may be able to change that and suddenly now I'm there and I've got control of that planet as well. So that's the basic rule set. But what I love about this game so much is everything that breaks the rules. The different allies that you mentioned that come into play could totally change the winning condition. There could be events that are played this all of a sudden, oh, now guess what? Whoever loses this battle actually gets control of the planet. Mm-hmm. You know, there's little things like that that's happening. There, And just when you think you're going to win, for example, the very last game that we played, there was an ally that was out that said, if you ever commit any ships to a planet and you don't have enough on your supply to do so, you'll win the game. I had exhausted all my ships and I was ready to win this thing. You happen to lose a battle at a planet and the loser got to 
make a friendly move with an ally. And what that means is if there's an ally that's friendly with me, you can make it friendly towards you and pull it back to the neutral zone. And if it was neutral, you could pull it towards you. So you took that ally from me and all of a sudden, boom, there goes my chance to win. That's right. You have a way to break the rules. Now I'm going to break the rule. Oh, very tactical. You you would think that this game, you know, oh, all you're doing is flipping cards. No, it's all nope. in how the cards break the rules and you don't know what's coming. You talked about the resources that you could get at the end of um, the battling phase, uh, the refresh phase. Sometimes yes. those choices are very hard to make. Do you want to sway an ally? Do you want to bring car, um, ships back from the warp? Or do you want uh, refresh tactics? I mean, so many options you have there. And it's kind of very, very strategic in how you play this game. Fast, too. Fast game, Marty. Oh, yeah. We're talking 30 minutes. Mm -hmm. I mean, once you know the rules, 30 minutes easily. And it can obviously vary depending on how the wind conditions change. Because... Like I said, last game that we played wasn't decided by who controlled the first five planets. It was a different winning condition that made it. And I can last like like the base game. It's this chaos that's in the full game of Cosmic Encounter that they've got into this two-player game. And I can't get enough of it. I want to play more. Every game is different because every game you're going to have a different race that you're alien race that you're playing as every game is going to have three different ally factions that could help you out every different every game is going to have different destiny cards are going to come out it's not rinse and repeat everyone's going to be a new experience i want to just say this about one of the aliens i had it was very interesting from the standpoint of if i could put 12 cards if i, I would i could put runs underneath i my love own. this one i love this one's a cool one so right before i would play a card if i had runs of the numbers in my hand, I could place them underneath my ally or my alien. And if I got up to 12 cards, then I would win the game. I'm sitting there as we were playing this, I'm thinking, oh, look, Marty plays this one, which forces me to discard my entire hand, which had a run of five cards in it. I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. That would have put me almost halfway to the end of the game right there. But Marty, that alien, I was sitting there thinking, that's hurting my chances because you now know that I don't have certain cards in my hand. So that's going to help you defeat me when it's time to play cards during, during that battle phase. So, so that's give and take. And oh, like in Cosmic Encounter, all the aliens, there's easy aliens, medium aliens, and hard aliens. So, you know, there, there's a ton of aliens in there. Plenty of expansion in this thing. You, you could, they could expand this all day. There is no doubt if this thing sells well, which I hope it does, please go buy this, um, <laughs> that there will be expansions. And it's really literally just adding new allies, new faction races. Shoot, you can even add new destiny cards. And like I said, they're all different. They're all unique. With the Destiny card, you just don't know what's going to come up next. Will it be a planet that we fight over? Will it be some wacky event we have to deal with? You don't know, and you just got to roll with the punches. So the thing about it is, if you're looking for a very strategic game where it has a deterministic outcome, where you can control your, your own fate, that's not this game, Tony. Mm. This game changes too quick, too quick, too easily based on the cards that come out to ruin a well-laid plan, such as, like you said, you had a run of five cards, like two, three, four, five, and six. You were getting ready to put under your faction. I happened to draw a card, an event card that says, guess what? You're going to discard your hand. And one thing I will say about this, it stays true to the original. Some of the dual games, Seven Wonders Duel. 
when when I played that, it was you were just pulling cards, and you know some of the Seven Wonders. The beauty of Seven Wonders for me is which cards are going to be drafted by other people and watch what they're doing and things like that. Seven Wonders Duel, while while I enjoyed it, you know, it didn't feel as true to that game. Here, this this felt like Cosmic Encounters to me. And the only thing that's missing again is the negotiation, which I thought was the main part of cosmic encounter. I thought, how is this going to feel like cosmic encounter without it? But it does. I tell you, uh, we've been focusing on a lot of two player games recently because well, you and I are the only ones that can get together and, and play because everybody's, you know, you know, trying to stay safe and everything like that. I guess we're not trying to stay safe. Is that what we're saying? No, we, we scan ourselves. We've got temperature checks in <laughs> the mask are there. So we are plenty safe. Okay, so we've been playing a lot of two-player games. And, you know, in our annual Squirrely Awards, we always have an award for the best two-player game. I mean, right now, I'll go ahead and put, for sure, Undaunted North Africa on there. And Cosmic Encounter Duel is right there on that list. A couple other games going to have to be really good the rest of the way to knock this out because it is so different. This is a game that is $39.95 MSRP. Uh, you can get a little bit less on Miniature Market for $31.99. It's available for pre-order. I love it. I love it. I love this game. I, I swear if you're looking for a fun two-player game, I can't recommend this enough. And I think this is going to be around for a while for expansions. What about you, Tony? Yeah, I'm very excited. Matter of fact, we love it so much, Marty. We're going to give away a copy. Oh, we are. Yes, we are. We're going to give away a copy to some lucky winner to some game that we actually love? Well, that's nice of us to do. I know, isn't it? That's all we are. We are so nice. So the way you're going to do this is we're just going to be a Google Forms, a link, of course, on our website. He just means a survey. I don't know why I keep calling it Google Forms. It's just a survey. It's a form. It's Google. And I go to Google and I click on Forms. So anyway, you're going to go fill out that survey. It's not really a survey. You're actually going to fill out a form because what you need to enter. Fair. Uh, yeah, exactly. What you're going to have to enter is a number. You're going to guess a number. And what's going to happen is Marty and I are going to draw three cards from one of the decks in Cosmic Encounter Duel and add those up. And whoever is closest to that gets the game. Plain and simple. Oh, wow. You totally changed the rules from what we said, but okay. Yeah. I mean, keep it easy. We're going to, you, you're going to need to write down your sum total and Marty and I are going to randomly flip over cards and whoever comes close is the winner. If there is a tie and because I'm lazy, then Marty, we will randomly select from our, uh, from those who are closest. So can you at least tell the people the range of the numbers again? So they won't be picking numbers like 622. I could, or they could go to BGG and check it out, but it's negative two to 42. And remember, not every number's in there. A lot of the low numbers are there together, but there may not be a 24, 25, 26, 27, 28 sort of deal. So you're just going to add, pick three numbers anywhere ranging from negative two to 42. Mm hmm. And sum those up, put that number in a field, then we'll draw three cards and see who gets closest. But it would be wise not to do like add 35, 36, and 37 because those don't exist altogether. You could. You could, but you will not win. Yes, you will not win. So good luck to everybody who's going to enter. This will be closing. When, Marty? When do we want to close it? Two weeks from when this airs? Yes, we'll go ahead and close it on the 21st of July. And so you have uh, that time again to go out, look at our blog post for this episode at RollDiceTakeNames.com. 
Tony will hopefully give better instructions on the Google form on what you're doing. Again, you're just going to pick a number and uh, we'll see who gets closest to it. And we'll be shipping out a copy of Cosmic Encounter Duel to you. But unfortunately, this is going to have to be for the continental U.S. only. That's right, because the shipping overseas is actually will be more than the game itself. <laughs> so we're going to stick in the continental U.S. We're going to be able to throw it in a little priority mailbox and we'll get it out there to you and you won't regret it. But if you don't win or you're interested in this game, again, I can't give it enough praise. One of my top games so far of 2020. I was just so surprised at how well it is, how fun it is, how well it plays. That's Cosmic Encounter Duel from Fantasy Flight Games. Five-minute initiative begins in three, two, one. Well, Marty and I got to play the new unmatched Cobble and Fog designed by Chris Leader. This is a miniatures game with cards and you're just trying to beat the snot out of each other, but you get to play some of the best villains out there. Some of the old, 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 old timey villains. What was that? It wasn't Silver Screen. Well, it was called Universal Monsters. Universal Monsters. But Sherlock's not a villain. But was he? No. Well, wasn't he for um, the, he was a villain to the bad guy. God, why is all that escaping me? I used to enjoy, anyway. So in this game, you are trying to beat the health out of each other <laughs> by moving around a board. <laughs> you've got three actions that you can do. You can do two actions on your turn, but uh -huh. you've got three options. Uh -huh. You can maneuver, which you have to draw a card, and then you may move your fighters mm -hmm. or hero. Or you can attack if you're in the right area, adjacent, or in the right zone. Mm -hmm. If you're if you got a little range action there, or you can Mm -hmm. And that uh, combat's pretty straightforward. Each of you play a card. If the attacker plays an attack card, you'll apply it to the potential defense card the defender had played, subtract the two, and then take some damage. But uh, Tony, where the different characters come in is the text on those sorts of cards. The card decks are very much thematic to the character that you're playing. You played as Sherlock, and I played, for this particular game, I played Dracula. Dracula was had these sisters that were going around doing his bad deeds for him and stuff, and Dracula would kind of come in and, and hit and slide away and stuff while the sisters just wanted to surround people and suck some damage off of them. But Sherlock played totally different. Sherlock, it was, it was, it was elementary how he played. He had Dr. Watson with him, mm -hmm. and the whole object of it was like, Sherlock get into range and then he'd beat the snot out of people by studying them, mm -hmm. understanding what they need to do, counter strike, counter punch, oh, or deduce what's in their hands, which, you know, when I play card games, Marty knows I love any deck that's going to allow me to manipulate or look at someone else's hands. If he was playing magic, he'd play blue. I've been told that. So, and those have always been my favorite. So with this, I got to be able to play cards that said, Hey, look at his hand. And then, call out a card that would do damage based on what he's in his hand. I was like, this is brilliant. This is so elementary. I've used it twice enough of that. Yeah. <laughs> it's not, it was, that was a nice little combo and stuff. And then the other two characters in here are invisible man and Jekyll and Hyde and invisible man. You have these three fog tokens that you can move around the board and the invisible man will come in and out of the fog. He can like teleport to the fog when he attacks from the fog. If you play the right card, he can do some additional damage. So he's popping in and out 
uh, these fog tokens and everything. He can actually, one of the cards has him disappear right off the board, then reappear back on the board later. Again, very thematic. Where Jekyll and Hyde, Dr. Jekyll, he's mild manner. He's sitting back. He's kind of waiting his time, but don't make him angry. You wouldn't like him when he's angry. That's a different character. That's a different character. But for this one, when it's Mr. Hyde, he does a lot of damage. However, when he maneuvers, he's going to take damage. So you need to get him back to Dr. Jekyll so that he does it. And some of the cards will do that. They'll transform him back and forth along those lines. So very different styles of play. I like the decks. I like the difference in them. Yeah, definitely. Very much different, which is way different, you know, than the original starter set that was released like Robin Hood and Alice in Wonderland. I think I like this box set the most of all of any that's been released because they are very thematic. The whole Cobble and Fog, it's that Victorian England and the monsters that they have during that time. And as always, with restoration games, especially the Unmatched line, the art is amazing. The production value is top-notch. Even the manual, Tony, the, the front page of the manual mm-hmm. reads like a little paper for wanted ads for the different people in the game. And uh, one of the people that works on the graphic design is Lindsay Davio, which is Rob's wife. She does an amazing job. And the insert, the insert is so good. It, it holds all the, the uh, models, which are gorgeously detailed, look fantastic. There's a slot for all the cards and the tokens and everything. Top-notch production. Was this the one where you told Rob that the font was too small and he texted Lindsay and she increased the font? Oh, that was when uh, Rob and Lindsay were in Charlotte and I mentioned that and she changed it right there on the whim and changed the original unmatched font size to be larger than, than what when she first showed me. So yes, that was it. So with all the unmatched, very straightforward, easy to play. Mm-hmm. It's another, once again, we've already talked about family games. This is another one that if you want to get into miniature before you step it up to the Oh, heavy range. Are they in my line of sight? Because line of sight is so easy because if it's in the right colors, it'll match. Another one, great for the family to get it onto the table. Easy to understand. I mean, even the card text and some of the powers were very straightforward. So had no issues there. Very good family game. 100% agree. And what I love is with all the different thematic characters that are coming out, you just pick what kind of character you want to play. They've released several so far the past year with more to come. Cobble and Fog is definitely one of my favorite. Fantastic job, Chris, later on this game. All the decks play totally different. That's Unmatched Cobble and Fog by Restoration Games, available now. We are going to talk about a new game from Ravensburger called Back to the Future Dice Through Time. This was designed by Chris Leader, Ken Franklin, and Kevin Rogers. This is a co-op game where you are trying to return items that have gotten out of their time zone. Not time zone. That's a... Out of their their year. year. Thanks, Biff. He's he's mucking with time, Tony. He's got the DeLorean and moving things around between 1885 and 1955 and 1985 and 2015. And we've got to get those back to their correct years. And if we do get everything back to where it belongs, we win the game. That's right. But during that time, these event cards are coming out all over the place over these different decades. And every decade has five different locations that you can visit. The event cards will come out in these locations. And whichever year has the most event cards will advance the out-of-time marker. And if that out-of-time marker gets to the end of the track, we lose the game. So it's, it's a race against time. Huh? See how they did that? Now, when you are doing this game, it reminds me a lot of Elder Sign. Mm-hmm. Yep. Because the way to clear an event is by a dice face. 
I don't know how else to explain it. A dice face. Face. It's one of these things where on your turn, I mean, so everybody's playing in a round. And on the turn, the first player, Marius already said, you're going to draw a number of events based on the number of players. And when we played a two-player, we got to draw three. Everybody rolls their dice. We get to play our actions from our dice. So on the dice face, there are various actions where they'll let you jump between the time, will get you moved during the year you're in. Maybe you're going to want to, oh, I don't know, punch Biff. He may be sitting somewhere where you need to do something. So you send him to another location. You gang up on him. There's one where it's got Doc Brown's face that lets you get rid of these paradoxes that are really nasty. They really hurt you. So you're going to do that on your turn. You're going to spend your dice that allow you to um, do actions. Then once everybody has done that, you advance the out of time marker. So the goal of the game is to uh, collect these items and, and move them back into their right location. So you're going to go to a location in a certain year and try to clear off an event card of that location. Each event card has a certain icon on it that matches one of the side of the dice. You spend the die to match that. You remove that event. At that point in time, you get the item that's lost in that year, and you see what year you need to move to and what location within that year to drop it off. So then at that point, you're trying to use your dice actions over that turn or future turns to move your DeLorean through the different years to get the location to drop it off. When you do, you get to move the out-of-time marker back one space. A nice little Einstein random token comes up on the board, which gives you additional actions that you can spend between the two of you over the course of the game. And then it's a race to try to get all those items cleared off before you run out of time. Yep. And we ran out of time. We ran out of time. This is not an easy co-op game. We had, mm -hmm. with two players, we had 12 items that we had. Yes, 12. Yeah. Four times three is 12. We had 12 items we had to get back to the right location and right year. And we only got six of them. Right. <laughs> so. I mean, there's a lot of thought. We did a lot of times discussing how can we combine these dice. I mean, there's no, um, well, the wrench is a wild token for an event. Right. And you can use two dice of the same face that lets you do any action. That's called Mr. Fusion action. Mr. Fusion. That's right. You can you can turn any two dice into one single action. Uh, we didn't mention, this is kind of cool. If you're in a, a earlier year, like 1885, you can drop a die off like in a time capsule. Mm -hmm. Somebody in a future year at that location can use that die that was placed in the past. That's kind of a nice concept. So it's very co-op-y. Uh, Tony, you and I spent a lot of time talking on our turn. Well, how you want to spin that dice? If I can do drop this die off for you on your time, on your turn, you can use it in a future year. Trying to keep events cleared off to keep the marker from moving so quick, all while trying to get your items back to the loca right location. Overall, I mean, Robinsburg known for their family games here. I think this one is, it's pretty challenging. It is not for the young at heart. But I will say, I'm always skeptical of games that are based on an IP, like, mm -hmm. oh, it's a back to the future game. It's going to blah, it's not going to be that good. Actually, I like this one. I like the mechanics of it. I always like spending dice. And well, one of the actions on the dice, you can re-roll dice. So you're not stuck with what you're rolled. You do have options to spend two of the same face to get anything you want. Einstein tokens give you some additional actions. So you can mitigate some of the luck of the dice. There's a lot of working together. Uh, it's Thematically, it, it really works mm -hmm. well together. And what's really interesting is, I mean, there's not... The artwork is not based on scenes from the movie. Right. They're very nondescript, like Biff has no face, so they don't have to pay that actor. <laughs> and some of the events that are here is you can identify them like, you know, the hoverboard or 
where he, Marty is getting shot at by Biff and he's having to dance. Marty McFly, not Marty Mark. Mar- Mar- not, yes, not Marty on me, yeah. I mean, overall, yes, this is one of those that you're probably going to want to try to play and get better and better at to see if you can beat it. Like I said, Marty and I played on standard mode. You can increase the number of items. It gets harder. I don't see how. I can't see on a four-player. This thing, you a lot more events come out. This thing's going to take... It is. It's going to take a lot of cooperation. But that's what makes a good co-op game, right? If you're winning all the time, then it's really not that good. It needs to be a little bit challenging. So if you're looking for a solid co-op game with a really good theme based on the movie, I think Back to the Future Dice Through Time is, is a good one to check out. And that is by Robinsberger, designed by Chris Leader, Ken Franklin, and Kevin Rogers. Back in 2014, Tony, six years ago, Mm. you and I said, you know what? We miss our collectible card games. Not if you go back and listen to that episode (laughs) and we talk nothing about an Android Netrunner. That's all right. That's okay. But if you go back to like episode, wow, I think it first was 40 or then 42 when we went into it. We talked about Dice Masters, which is a brand new game from WizKids Games, which is a collectible dice game. And at the time when it came out, it was a superhero-themed game. And us going back and listening to it, we were really into that game at the time. We were. And then suddenly it died. But why did it die? Nobody was playing. We didn't. And why was nobody get, playing? Because you couldn't get it. Because you couldn't get it. We were super heavy into that game. And then it ran into some, I guess, some manufacturing or distribution issues to where we want to go buy booster packs and you couldn't buy them. And we had a couple starter packs, and then people were just scraping for the chance to get boosters. And by the time boosters came out, well, you know, you gotta you you know, you gotta strike when the iron's hot, and mm-hmm. the iron had cooled off by the time the boosters were ready to be readily available. And also, there were some issues because when I went back and read the blog, that was very well written by me back then. Obviously, you can see over six years how it has declined. Mm-hmm. But I stated that you know there were these special super rares that people were collecting. Yes, and they were just basically decimating the field at that time. Right. But why are we bringing up history? Because six years later. WizKids posted a tweet of some cool-looking foils that they had in some draft packs for um, uh, Dice Masters. And I said, those look really cool. And and they contacted us and said, how long has it been since you played? And I said, six years. And they said, they have an an Avengers campaign box, which is a good way to get into the game. It has uh, 16 different character cards, enough for two players. They said, you guys want to check it out again? So I said, Tony, yeah, it's been six years. Let's revisit this game mm-hmm. and see what we think. So you and I get get together. We uh, do some drafting. We relearn the rules. We play some games. And just initial thoughts, six years later, after we just kind of listened to what we thought of it six years ago, what was your feeling uh, playing through it again? Pretty much the same thing. And that's kind of interesting from the standpoint of, it didn't take that long to relearn it. it. It did take about, you know, five minutes as long as this is going to last. But I was like, okay, there's the slow build, slow build, slow build. Boom. It's all over. And then I'm sitting over here. We had eight cards, each of us, for our team. Correct. And we drafted dice out of that. Mm-hmm. And you have to be able to purchase dice, put it back in your bag. And I was like, I hardly used anything I brought to the table or drafted. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I remember that too. And mm-hmm. that was one of those things. I was like, what, what was all this prep for? 
you know? Yeah, and I think it's one of those things that probably the prep was for who you're getting ready to face. Mm. So you want to build a broad enough team. So say that you have some characters that's going to counter two or three of my characters. So then I don't use those and I focus on the others. Uh, mechanically, though, I still think it's a very solid game. I think there's some decent strategy there. You're right, there's a buildup. You start with your basic dice. You got to generate enough resources to get the characters into your bag to use those. But then when you start fielding these characters, well, do I attack? Do I hold those back to block? And if they're KO'd, then I get to re-roll them again next turn. Do I want to KO your guys and give you more dice guys to roll? There was a lot of strategy that started cropping back up as we played. Yes, it, it was fun. I did enjoy it from that standpoint. And then remember the angst of, oh, I didn't roll well, which happened to you. And it did happen to me. Yeah, on the, on the very last turn, it's like, I just need some blockers. And I rolled five dice twice and no character guys came up to block. And then you just sent in like five or six people, game over. Game was over. And I also was sitting there thinking, okay, how am I going to cull? And I'm like, there's no culling. With this, there isn't. Now, there's been many, 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 many cards released since then. So some characters may have the option to call like sidekick dice, which Mm -hmm. would be nice. Yeah, it was fun. It's a fun game. It is. It is what it is. I mean, you know, it's got it's it's Lang and Elliot prodigy. Uh, yeah. What um, is it? Not prodigy. It could be. It could be their prodigy. I don't know. <laughs> it's a it's a Eric Lang and Mike Elliott designs. Though they work together on this. Six years later, I, th- I think it's still a solid game. It's not one of those I'm going to start going to buy a bunch of booster mm-hmm. boxes, but. You know, it was kind of fun just to pull them out, draft, and play a quick game. It does satisfy that itch of a quick like CCG-ish type game, but but with dice. But let me ask you, how do you remember, how does this compare to um, the Star Wars dice game that came out from Fantasy Flight? Do you remember playing that enough to kind of compare the two? Which no, no, I, no, <laughs> no, I played that maybe two, three times and then it was gone. Okay, all right. So, uh, the, so just for me on the conclusion side of this, I look at it as something that pick up the campaign box. If yeah. you have someone who missed it six years ago, uh-huh. say your daughter or son was, was six and now they're 12, this would be an excellent game to play i agree especially with all the avengers movies that came out Mm -hmm. you're right there's a generation that probably never got to play it there's an easy way to now jump into the game there are other themes of the game there's wwe there was uh like warhammer 40k version came out a DD. so there's a bunch of different characters out there solid fun little game i enjoyed my time with it i'm glad they sent it to us and it brought back a lot of great memories i will say i will not go back to collecting no, this would be a one. I would buy the campaign and be done with it. Uh, you know, there's no tournaments in our area, but that's okay. This is one of those games that just sit down family time, quick game. Yeah, but they do have the draft packs, which they just came out with, which are cool. So in the tournament situations, you buy a draft pack and then you go through and draft new characters. That kind of situation would be fun just to get together with Agreed. friends and split a box of those. So that is Dice Masters. Uh, this particular one that we checked out was the Avengers campaign box. It is available right now from WizKids. Five-minute initiative is complete. Hey, 
head over to miniaturemarket.com where you can stay COVID safe. That's right, because it's online. You can go over there, get your pre-orders in for all the upcoming games. Gen Con's canceled, but that doesn't mean you can't have a buttload of games coming to you. So be sure to check out all the daily deals that are on at miniaturemarket.com. What else are you going to do with your time but maybe paint some miniatures? So be sure to check out all their painting accessories. Oh, wait, you don't have any miniatures? Well, buy you some miniatures while you're over there. What about those accessories? Wouldn't now be the time to just upgrade your games with some accessories that will allow you the ability to open that box and wow your friends. Go check it out at miniaturemarket.com. All I can say, Marty, is that it is so good that we record these things in multiple segments. There's no way I could be sitting in this chair that long for as long as these people have been listening. There's just no way. <laughs> oh, let's see. Yeah, this was honestly recorded over three uh, days. Multiple, three days. Three days. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> uh, the even though it's all kind of come together sequentially, the stuff in the middle was recorded earlier, and the interview was recorded before the intro. The outro is the last thing we're recording, though. Thank to goodness, because this is a long episode. We typically don't do these sort of long episodes, but um, you know what? Justin was so interesting to talk to, and we had so many games that you and I got to sit down and play that. Uh, we just want to talk about it and uh, share it now. And actually, there's one other thing that we wanted to tease. Uh, we've already, hey, no, we've already teased it because it was in the Portal commercial. So, Rise of the Empire, uh, as you mentioned in the Portal commercial, is a campaign for Imperial Settlers. So, if you got the base game of Imperial Settlers, you can go and pre order and get Rise of the Empire, which adds a campaign element to Imperial Settlers. So the idea is you're building a civilization. In this game, uh, you're given these uh, civilization sheets. You start with the ancient civilization, you're gonna go up through modern times. And with every game that you play, you're gonna be moving up one of three tech trees. And as you move up tech trees, it's going to unlock in-game scoring. It's going to unlock some uh, items that you get right at the beginning of the game during your production. Uh, you're, you have quests. This, this new thing that they're going to have, you're going to have these quest cards that during the course of a game, it may say, hey, the first person to raise five red buildings gets to complete the quest and move up three on this particular track. Hey, the first person to collect five of the same resource gets to complete this quest and move up on this track. And at the end of every game, you track your progress on the tech trees. Each of you are going to get a province card that's added to your deck that comes out at, and play at, the, at your next game. Every province card that you collect every game is always start, you start with the beginning of the game. Plus, your victory points is converted to knowledge points and you spend knowledge points on inventions. And these inventions also going to play at the beginning of the game. So as you play games based on victory points, you buy inventions, you get province cards. As you try to progress through an age, and once you do, you flip over to the next sheet, you get rid of all the province cards that you got in that previous age, keep all your existing inventions and continue from there. So Tony, over time, you're growing your civilization. It's getting better and better over time. But Tony, we, we haven't played Imperial Settlers in a while. So we had to kind of go back and relearn the rules. So we played a game and we got to the end. Sorry. All right. Let's see how this works. And neither one of us <laughs> scored enough victory points to buy an invention. And if that happens, your empire crumbles and you have to start over again. <laughs> this is one of those games, the legacy games. Like you said, it's a legacy game. Yeah. yeah. But I will say this. 
for those of you that play Imperial Settlers a lot, this is going to be a big positive for you. Okay. With all that tech tree, it, it breathes, it definitely breathes. Instead of just a new race, it comes in, it brings a whole new core mechanic for you to develop and try to really make your civilization grow. For those of you who don't play Imperial Settlers a lot, I'm going to say you have to go play Imperial Settlers first and multiple times. You really got to know a race before, before you, you start the uh, yes. campaign. Yeah, because like you said, we, we kind of had to relearn it. We played a lot of 51st State when it came out, so we hadn't played Imperial Settlers in a while. So we had to kind of go and relearn things and, and kind of... Uh, and Tony, something came up when we played that uh, we had an issue with before, both in Imperial Settlers and 51st State, when you couldn't get production cards. Right, yeah. By the way, one of the things they do is you only play four rounds instead of five, mm-hmm. so that's a big... So you've really got to have that production, and when you look at that common draft... If you don't have those production cards or figuring out how to do it. And I was playing the Romans and I haven't played the Romans in years and I forgot how they work. So mm-hmm. that's one of those things that you've got to really understand. And it, it hurts. You, you can't do anything. You're turned, you're, you're done. And you know what I was thinking about last night, how, if you don't get to draft production cards, what could you do? You could use food that you have to potentially make deals, which would be given to you during the production phase. You could, play action cards and convert some of the actions will give you stuff in return. It's a little bit tougher because it's not automatic, but there are little things that might can help you out along the way. And I agree with you, except on the Romans, which I had forgotten, they don't get food. They don't get gold either. Oh, wow. I see your point. Yeah. So what I learned in round two and a half, maybe three. And Ignacy, when he listens to this, he's going to be yelling at me. He's going to be upset at us. He's going to be, he's going to be upset with us because we had a problem and we didn't solve it. It was the <laughs> fact that, that the Romans are known for conquering and taking what they need. And I had forgotten that. It's brilliant design. So my whole thing is whatever I'm drafting, I can raise it. Yep. And, get, and get what I need. So that's what I needed to be looking for. So once again... Because we hadn't played in so long, we were like, okay, what's going on here? You've got to play Imperial Settlers before you begin this. I, I, I'm going to be upfront. You've got to understand it. Play a practice game and, and, and make sure that you understand how your, how your deck works. Because like you said, it's one round shorter. So that's one less round that you got to get victory points. And you need to get at least 30-something victory points to at least buy one of the inventions. Understand what you're going to be, what you're shooting for, those knowledge, and what's going to happen if you don't achieve that. And understand what it costs. It's, you know, the lowest cost invention is 30 knowledge. So that's what you got to shoot for. And there's only two of them, if I remember correctly. So the next one's 35. So you've got to plan for that accordingly. And every game... You must buy an invention. You're going to get a province card and you must buy uh, an invention. And Nasi would be also very upset too. When we first learned this game from him, from BGG, <laughs> I kept looking at the back of the cards to remind myself, which is my faction cards and which is the common because they have different colors on the back. He said, would you stop doing that? Well, I said, I need to know which one's my faction cards. He's like, look, your faction has a different color background in the art than the common cards. Dude, I was still doing it. I was still looking at the back of my hand to see which one was the Egyptian cards. And all I do is realize, oh, the Egyptian cards have sand in the background. 
and the comic cards have grass. Mm-hmm. And then you <laughs> put an action card in the production slot and he'll be yelling at you, look, the art matches. There's a trail there. The art matches. I do this for you guys and you just ignore it. So we uh, we felt Ignacy again, even on that aspect. Oh, we could hear him talking to us or yeah. like pointing it out to us. <laughs> he could hear him yelling in our ear. Oh, there was another thing too, is that different people can come in and play this game. So Tony, you and I could have played got a province card, got an invention card, and then Mark and Nate could come in and start a brand new civilization. There's a little bit of a catch-up mechanic here because at the end of the game, for every province card you have in play, it's minus five points. So you and I would have started at a deficit anyway of minus five, and they wouldn't have any province cards yet. So that's kind of the way that works is the more province cards you get, the less victory points that you're going to have, well, potentially less victory points you can have at the end, but you should be building a better civilization that works as a better, since this is all an engine builder in order to get you more points. Mm -hmm. So if this sounds like something you're a big fan of Imperial settlers, you'd like to pull it back off the shelf, maybe legacy it. This is definitely for you. Go over to, you know, portalgamesus.com to get your pre-order in Look at miniaturemarket.com. Get that pre-order in. If it's available over there, I haven't looked. I'm sorry. Um, but go ahead. It is definitely something if you have a group that meets regularly that have all enjoyed Imperial Settlers. Marty and I are going to hopefully get it to the table more and more and build on this. But it's definitely something you need to look at. I watched a stream of when Luke from Portal Game was telling about the game. Somebody asked how many games can you get out of it. He said, typically you'll pay 20 games. Uh, before you get to the final age, there's like th- uh, three ages that you go through. So it's not quick. You know, you will have to play a lot of games in order to finish the entire campaign. And even though we said legacy, there's nothing you rip or tear. There's no stickers. Once you're done, you can reset and play again. So it's not one of those things that you play once and that's it. Uh, you can play as many times as, as they give you a lot of sheets in order to play multiple rounds of multiple people too. So again, People can come in and out of the game. They ain't got to play the same faction. It's easy to learn. It does bring some new life into Imperial Cellars. And speaking of Portal, Tony, later this month, well, actually this weekend after this episode is released, you and I were going to be participating in PortalCon, which is going to be online July 11th and 12th. They're going to be streaming on Twitch and they're going to be showing off a bunch of games and announcing some stuff and doing some play online and Ignacio will be talking to people. And you and I, sir, are going to be hosting a contest on Sunday, July 12th at 5 p.m. Eastern time where people can come and they can answer some multiple choice questions with the chance to win some prizes at the end. And all the questions will be based around Portal Games. I don't remember agreeing to this. Actually, you did. Do you have the email? Well, I got it in my chat somewhere where you said you would. Okay. So on the 12th at five o'clock, somebody's going to be getting Grumpy Tony hosting something. Got it. Correct. That is absolutely 100% correct. Well, they are in for a treat. (laughs) So what we're going to do is you and I are going to get on and give uh, people a chance to go and answer all the questions. Then we're going to close the questionnaire down. Then you and I... We'll ask each other those questions and give the answers so people can see if they got them right or not. Once it's all over, Ignacy will collect all those answers and the next day we'll pick a winner. 
And luckily, I hope we'll have those answers. Don't expect me to know them. Well, no, he's going to send you, there's 50 questions. He's going to send you 25 questions. He's going to send me 25 and we're going to quiz each other. And as people are watching, we, uh, they can put in and see if they got the answers uh, correct or not as we talk about them. Will we have closed captioning on to help them so that they can understand what we're saying? You know, that's Southern. I don't think so. Maybe we can have a translator. Maybe yeah. we need to get somebody to, uh, to translate for us. And I can see Ignacio right now. Some of the questions, if he's doing this, he may put some designer names out there. And if he does, oh, oh, poor people. Oh, if he makes us say designer names, that's just not nice. In fact, he's probably going to listen to this and he's going, oh, let me change the questions up. He won't have time. He won't have time. There's no way. <laughs> he's too busy. He's too busy running his Twitch stream, his yes. his video blog, his YouTube content, his podcast, his designing a game. He's too busy packaging up Dig Deeper. He's got all this going on. He doesn't have time for this uh, silly podcast. No, you're right. He's not listening because he would have stopped being a sponsor of us a long time ago if that was the case. There you go. He would have seen the problem and solved it. <laughs> <laughs> many, many years ago. Ignacio, would you want to be a sponsor? No. <laughs> oh, man. Well, that was a long episode, man. We got a lot of stuff into here. We got, uh, again, Ascension Tactics going on right now. We covered a lot of different games, a lot of two-player games. Whew. I'm beat. How about you? I'm ready to go roll my metal dice. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's right. From Metallic Dice Games. And we're going to take some names. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We had a lot of stuff to cover here. So if you want to go back and see what we talked about and all the links that we mentioned in our affiliate codes, go check out RollDiceTakeNames.com. Make sure to come back next episode where... uh. We'll be talking about a lot more games. I'm looking at a big stack over here. In three, two, one. Whoo-wee, that was a long one, but y'all can go. Make sure to check out our blog at RollDiceTakeNames.com. Wow. RollDiceTakeNames.com, that is it, isn't it? It's also RollingDiceTakeNames.com. Let's just do that one all over again. Okay. That was a long one, y'all, but if you want to make sure. Wow. Mm. It's the outro, Marty. Come on, I'm almost done. We're almost done here. Okay. Three, two, one. Head over to thebrokentoken.com for your 3D printed fantasy terrain. That's right. Not only do they have inserts, but they can really really make your D&D game stand out. They got things for fantasy, elven, dwarven, necromancy. Necromancy? Okay, fine, whatever. If you want that stuff sitting around your house when you're playing, not playing D&D, go right ahead. Hey, that's at your own risk. Oh, and then they have the woods and the forest. All this will make your D&D sessions stand out. You can do some quick job. It's ready for painting, so get you some good paints. And get, while you're there, get the paint stand at thebrokentoken.com. You can get all your paint sorted. So be sure to head over to thebrokentoken.com. Mm-hmm.